0: Hey Claudius. You killed my father. Big mistake. Something is rotten in the state of Denmark. And Hamlet is taking out the trash. <laughs> Thy hand, fair prince. Who said I'm fair? No one's going to tell this sweet prince good night. To be
1: or not to be, not to be. Come up a new song for this part,
2: though. Yeah, I have fun. to write it. Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I am Tom Nolan. I got Mario
1: fucking Ponzio.
2: <laughs> I'm Mario Ponzio! <laughs> um,
1: do you know why we're so excited, Tom? Because... Well, you do. Do you, going... think, do you think our audience knows? They... I mean, I think they do. Because they, they the probably see we the jumped title. into
2: our time machine? Do
1: they hear the fact that... That the sound is clipping really bad because I'm fucking stoked.
2: Yeah. So yeah. Tom,
1: you don't like action movies that much, do you?
2: They're not my favorite, Mario. But I gotta. Do you do you like action movies?
1: Do, do you think I like action movies, Tom?
2: Why did you tell me to ask you a question that you, you were just asking because
1: yeah, it's rhetorical. Yeah,
2: I think you like action movies. Yeah, you do. We do. Mario, let me let me read your list here. Read your list. Are you tell me if any of these movies sound good to you. Okay. Hmm. Got a hard target. Jurassic Park. The Fugitive. Pretty, pretty falling down.
1: Falling.
2: True romance.
1: Oh, man, falling down
2: is Judgment Night. Nowhere to run. Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. Hard target. Alive. RoboCop three. Alive
1: is ninety three. Yeah. Cop the, and a half. The soccer survival movie.
2: Yeah. Oh. Point of no return. Striking distance. The Pelican Brief. Surf ninjas.
1: Really quickly, though. So some of those movies are, are pretty standardly great. I would hesitate to call Falling Down an action movie. It's, I think it's, it's an way action movie.
0: far
2: ahead of its time. It is, but it is an action movie.
0: I know. I don't think so. It's Michael more of a Douglas drama. Michael
2: shoots an Uzi in a McDonald's. It's a drama action. Drama action. There has never been a drama in life that featured Michael Douglas shooting an Uzi.
1: Has there been, there's been dramas that have featured Uzi shooting? Which training Day.
2: No, is, that, is that not an action movie? I don't... Th- I would. would he you, chases Snoop Dogg down the street in would a wheelchair. You, would you
1: call Training Day an action movie or a drama film? Or a crime... I think it would be I defined by crime a drama.
2: I movie.
1: Yeah, that's what I said. Falling down is a draction. Did you say draction? I said action actually. Dramaction? Dramaction. Oh, which one's better? Dramaction, because it in, it includes the full term.
2: Draction sounds like it's a Dracula action movie. Yeah, it
1: sounds like we're going to be about Francis Ford Coppola for a bit.
2: Which is the most action Dracula movie that ever existed.
0: Another oh, from our Empire.
1: from our also early conversation off air about movies we watched repeatedly for young boy reasons. <laughs> Bram Stoker's Dracula. There you another go. movie. So
2: this uh this bonus episode was inspired by the fact that me and Mario always seem to end up talking about cliffhanger. Yep. It just happens in every It happens so because em- every so if, often we just launch into a cliffhanger discussion. It happens discussion.
1: because I obsessively talk about cliffhanger. Um, and it turns out a movie I just reali- I also We also obsessively talk about another movie that's going to be talked about later that I just realized came out in 1993. Yeah. Because we had a long conversation with Mandy about this film and about how, like, oh, maybe that movie should have showed up on my list. Mm-hmm. And you even said, like, that could have easily been on It was, al- it on was my almost list. on my list, yeah. We'll yeah. um, probably finish with that one, to be honest. Yeah.
2: So what we've decided here... It's going to be a long episode, guys. Settle in. It's the summer... Berg, um, you know, Berg. Yeah, the summer blockbusters. Yeah, Berg. we got to talk about the action and you know movies. What?
1: 2019 not looking that solid for the summer blockbusters. You got Guy Ritchie doing Aladdin. the late 2000 Guy Ritchie things. You got Avengers Endgame being that movie. You got Godzilla that's going to be in the shadows. I'm so excited for it. But Godzilla's
2: kind of in May. Where's my June? Where get, my July. Men in black. July 4th. I don't want to watch a Men in Black movie. Come Without on.
1: Will Smith or Tommy Lee Jones no, or well, no. mostly just Josh Brolin. Um, I mean, I'm
2: happy to, that Tessa Thompson's making huge movies. I mean, that's good for Tessa Thompson.
1: And those two have really good comedic Yeah, timing. yeah, yeah. That's, that's I think fine. that's actually going to be a pretty okay movie.
2: I'm we're not, not going to see it. I'm going to so go
1: see it. I'll just it, take but, your word for it. i yeah. will um, see it. But uh, like July, we have Spider-Man. I mean, it's, it's not really a that's huge... Not it's, just, yeah.
0: it's just a follow-up to Avengers.
1: And it's an alien
2: movie. There's
0: it's an alien movie?
1: Yeah, Mysterio's a fucking alien, Mario. Remember? Oh no, he's a, technically not an alien. He's a transdimensional being from our Earth. He's an alien, but really, we know that's not going to happen. Yeah, because that movie. All right. that Let's not happening. talk about. Let's talk instead about, um, you know, some some of the great some of the great actions of the year. Yeah, ninety three was kind of, ninety
2: three was a kind of really good action movie year
1: for the most part. The first movie we're going to talk about was not a summer blockbuster.
2: It was not an anything blockbuster. <laughs> it, was, it was a January blockbuster. It was
1: a movie that um, I saw many times for two reasons: one, my dad thought it was really cool, and two, my mom really liked herself from Tom Berenger. I <laughs> <laughs> don't mean to laugh at your mom, she did. That Tom Berringer Did you
2: like good. Major League? Yeah, yeah, yeah she did. I, I like Major League a lot, lot too.
0: I too.
1: liked I watched Major League a lot,
2: yeah. but I was very happy about yeah, it. almost that. On my Major list. League
1: almost made my list too. Yeah. Me, too. Um, our list was almost eerily similar
2: past a certain point the same movies are on our list yeah Um, but the movie we're talking about is not major league it is major league 2 I like major league 2 I do too Um, I even like back in the minors (sighs) Jesus
1: (laughs) all the major leagues are pretty good
2: yeah alright this is uh, Sniper
0: He's a shadow. He's out there. Somewhere. Waiting. There's a major coup planned for election day in Panama. Ochoa's drug cartel is bankrolling it. Fighting a war no army can win. We have less than one week to prevent that. But a single bullet. Range me. Can.
1: Sniper It came out. On January twenty ninth, nineteen ninety three, directed by Luis Losa, who would go on to direct two other major action greats. That would one would develop another series. Sniper would go on to have like seven sequels. Yeah, what is that about? I don't know. All of them were direct the video, um, but he'd also go on to direct Anaconda, which I believe had two theatrical sequels or one theatrical sequel. Is one Oman theatrical in sequel. Own <laughs> Wilson dies in the first Anaconda. <laughs>
2: oh yeah, that's right. Um, who lives in that? And the they kind just Jennifer, Jennifer Lopez and John Voight, Ice Cube. Oh, and no, Ice no. Cube.
1: There's the great scene where John Voight gets thrown up and is like melting and winks at Jennifer oh, yeah. uh, Jennifer Lopez, um, and the specialist, uh, the <laughs> the great Sharon Stone, Sylvester Stallone, James Woods movie.
2: Yeah, that was a great. That was a great movie.
1: If that is what we're calling it, um, <laughs> Sniper is the story of Tom Berenger. Who's a good sniper? He loses his partner uh, to a rogue sniper, and so mm-hmm. he has to take on Billy Zane, who's like a, who's just a SWAT sniper, but he has, you know, he has any confirmed kills, and he, he's not in the shit. And Billy Zane has I mean, has been given credit for a kill he couldn't do because he couldn't pull the trigger, yep. leading to the death of a fellow military soldier. And uh, they they're going out to you know kill just some fuck. Well, the the, the um, Americans
2: have decided that they want to quash the rebels in Panama because they've decided because it's to it's side 1993 with nineteen ninety
1: three and Grenada
2: yeah. was still like recent,
1: and so any country that could potentially be somewhere in a warm, like tropical climate, uh, America wants to squash it. You know.
2: Well, they want. Yeah, they want to get. They, they said they want democratic elections and. You know, Tom Berenger's like... literally they literally... The threw, same thing that always they, happens is going to happen. Like a dart.
1: They threw it and were like, oh, Panama. Yeah, this it a place with a canal. <laughs> um, and the two clash as they sneak around the, the, the dense woods of, of Panama.
2: Which, well, Tom Berenger knows the which woods. Which is
1: definitely 100% Panama.
2: Yeah, not Australia at all. Tom Berenger knows the woods. Billy Zane knows the, the orders. Yeah. How's the, how are they going to resolve this?
1: They're going to resolve this in a really terrible, really slow movie. Um, I watched this movie a, a lot as a kid. By, not by my own volition, as I said. My uh-huh. dad watched this a lot, and my mom just let him be, because of Tom Berenger. And when I was a little kid. I thought it was about Billy Zane, but it wasn't. It was just about Tom Barry. I mean, he
2: tries to eat all the scenery he can. Yeah,
1: <laughs> this is this is Billy Zane '90s Billy Zane. Like he would culminate it with you know, the Phantom. Yeah, which definitely speaking that's of, his
2: culmination movie, the Phantom.
1: The Phantom. There was a this is a little quick aside. There was a uh, Charter Cable contest for the Phantom, where if you can answer five questions about the Phantom, you get a great Phantom gift pack. And one of it was, like, the Phantom fake ring. Ooh. And so, like, 11-year-old Mario got really excited, answered all five questions right. The ring didn't fit my finger. What did you do? I just kind of threw away everything.
2: Oh, okay. I never actually, I've never actually seen the Phantom. You didn't try to stab the person who sent you the, the too small ring? Oh, like right. Billy Zane did to Tom Barringer in this movie?
1: <laughs> also, I think, he, I think he stabs Treat Williams in, that, in the
2: Phantom. We've all like stabbed that. Treat Williams once or twice in our life.
1: No, but, um, yeah, uh, I saw this a lot, and, and as a kid, I, I thought I liked it, mm-hmm. um, because there's blood, and there's, good, there's some good squib deaths, mm-hmm. some infrequently good well, squib deaths. I like and, how um, everyone
2: just, the, the chest of everyone explodes, not always their heart, they always die, though. Yeah, even though there's, it's a lot mis- of sho- there's a lot of times where a sniper shot hits the shoulder. Or the, just the, like, the opposite side of the chest around the armpit. Which just kind be, of like,
1: which like could be a long, but like it wouldn't be like an instantaneous death.
2: But I like how every person that gets shot like that dies in slow motion with their arms up in the air with a confused look on their face. It's very good.
1: Typically surrounded
2: by watermelons, yeah, or women to cry after them, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, there is not a lot to say about this action movie. It is, it is the. I think it's a good palate cleanser to what would come in nineteen ninety three. Um, because it is so utterly direct to video, early '90s action film.
2: I think um, with a with budget with a helicopter budget.
1: Yeah, budget helicopter budget, and uh, really nothing. I else. mean, this is
2: one of those movies where you can you.
1: <sighs> my problem, my biggest problem, with this movie is the very next year a movie with a kind of a similar kind of taste uh-huh. to it um, would come out and. It's very heavily in the woods, featuring a lot of, like, slow discussion scenes. That is a lot better. I mean, it's still a shitty, shitty action mm-hmm. movie. Um, Ernest Dickerson surviving the game. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. One? I one, that one, yeah. Um, you know, you get a really good, like, Rugger Howard being a fun villain and well, very juicy, just fun. being yeah. crazy and well, Ice-T just being well, I mean, here's a Ice-T. And
2: here's the difference between uh, that movie and this movie is that that movie is... Those people have personality. Billy Zane doesn't really have a personality. He just tries to have a. Per- he just tries to act like he has a personality. And Tom Berenger has no personality. Tom Berenger doesn't do anything. He literally the says the same couple of things over and over and over again. And I don't understand why. If he's, if he's so sad at the end of the movie, he kind of reveals like all oh, the worst, the pain, worse than getting shot. Or killing someone is the pain of not feeling any pain anymore at all. But he says to Billy Zane, when he wants Billy Zane to kill that... The the surgeon guy? The white guy at the end of the movie that has all his lines dubbed for some reason? Yeah. He's like, oh, feel the rush. It's like, but... What rush? Aren't you saying that there's no rush? Like, aren't you just dead inside? Like, do you still feel a rush? I don't understand. Like... There's there's a real lack of consistency with purpose here, or with, or with um. You know, motivation. Why anybody wants to do anything in this movie is just kind of beyond the scope of what this movie can handle. It's just you're supposed to kill some people. We're gonna let's just let's kill those people, and and then when it doesn't go like I think it's gonna, we're gonna try to kill ourselves, which I'm not sure. How that solves anything. But then it resolves into like this movie's one really good scene where Billy Zane shoots his own shadow. Yeah. Which is a scene I actually kind of really
1: like. You know, it's rewatching this. I, I, I rewatched this without remembering this movie. And I was convinced that at some point Tom Berenger kills Billy Zane because Billy Zane turns on him. Mm-hmm. And I kept like, waiting for that turn. And it kind of builds to that.
2: And he says, and You'll then be just, all right.
1: Yeah, and that just doesn't. And like, And even in 93, that wouldn't have been a a twist. But, like, this movie just plays out so by numbers that even, like, the most expected twist of all would have been somewhat interesting.
2: I mean, I I don't want to belabor, like, our discussion on on Sniper, We're really just kind of getting ourselves going here, is that um, I think it's really telling when a movie begins and ends in the exact same place. So, in the very beginning of the movie, Tom Berenger and his partner are, like, they make a kill. Um, I love... After they kill this guy, you know the kind of with that kind of the bullet stuff that they do where you see like the shot you actually see the bullet kind of come out of the gun, and then there's a really slow scene like or a slow moment of this of the end of that scene where Tom Berenger crawls away so like, did you have to show us him his whole body crawling out of frame? Is that really necessary? no, not at all we we but can't this... just show them walking away but then so then when they're um you know taking gunfire from another sniper and his partner gets killed. The place where that happens is the exact same place where the end scene happens, where, you know, Tom Berenger shoots a a sniper that's trying to kill Billy Zane with his left hand because someone cut his trigger finger off on his other hand. You know what I mean? If you only have one place to put this helicopter, you are doing, like, you just don't have enough money to make your movie. I mean, I imagine that Ty West had a lot less money to make *The Sacrament*, but everything he did there looks a hundred times better than everything oh, yeah. that happened. <laughs> because in he has like
1: he has uh, like a central wooded area and an open field around it, and he at least like puts his like helicopter on an opposite side of the field. That's a yeah. movie I completely forgot about. That's a really good movie. It the is *The Sacrament*.
2: Yeah, um, but yeah, so let's
1: uh, let's move on to a movie that's uh that's a little better. A little, a lot more fun, especially.
2: Definitely more fun.
1: Um, this would be a not summer blockbuster either. It would come out after the summer, in October, but it would uh, would make a pretty decent penny. Uh huh. Um, have a bigger budget, somewhere between forty five and seventy seven million dollars. Apparently, they don't really know how much this movie costs to make. Oh, good. It is the Wesley Snipes Sandra Bullock feature, yeah. star featuring Sylvester Stallone, <laughs> Demolition Man.
0: At the end of a century, ravaged by violence, a society of perfect order will arise. Criminals will be frozen and reprogrammed in cryogenic prisons. The prisoners are ice cubes. Their criminal instincts are being reprogrammed as they sleep. Aggression and deviant behavior will be totally eliminated.
1: He's a criminal the likes of which you have never seen.
0: In a bad time, he was the worst. I'm going to love running this place.
2: Uh, Demolition Man was directed by Marco Brambola. Who would go on to direct XX Baggage, the Ro- Alicia
1: Silverstone, Benicio Del Toro oh, romantic comedy. And then nothing until this winter with a dominable.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I
1: know, like I like. How, where did he come back? Like, why? What happened?
2: Well, excess baggage did just made... didn't do it for everybody. Yeah, but
1: then it was just like, nope, you're done. And then thirteen, seven, thirteen years later, like we're gonna make a animated
2: snowman movie about <laughs> Yetis. Give me the
0: man who made delicious
2: man. You know what's funny is that there was. A, we should do a bonus episode about those movies in the mid '90s where it was like the kidnapping the white girl movie. By like the unassuming. Wait, can we talk about? We're going to talk about chasers then. Is that the chase? Yeah, we have to talk. No, about No, not chase. the chase. Chasers. What's chasers?
1: We talked about chasers on this podcast before. That is another Tom Berenger, William McNamara movie. Oh
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, Erica yeah.
1: Ale- Elenica, Elenica is in that. Yeah, she's no, not, I, they catch her. She's uh, she's I, a criminal. I'm going to try to bring her back.
2: I always want to talk about the Charlie Sheen. What's Was that Charlie Sheen, Elizabeth Shue? Is that Elizabeth Shue? I don't think it's Elizabeth Shue. I think I don't remember who that is.
1: that was like Bridget Sampras or whatever.
2: No, it's because she's, she's in Last Action Hero. Um, yeah, she is. In Demolition Man, it is 2030. There has been um, a nuclear 2032. war. 2032. 2032, there has been a nuclear war. Um, in San Angeles, uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne. This is Dr. Raymond Cocteau. Nigel Hawthorne. N- Nigel Hawthorne. Oh, man. Not Nigel Nigel My
1: goodness. Um, Seems like you've never even seen this movie.
2: Raymond Cocteau has created a utopia, and the only thing that is stopping his utopia from being complete is um, Dennis Leary. Christy Swanson's in the Christy chase. Swanson, yes. Oh, man. Christy Swanson. Um, I have that, that burn mark on Charlie Sheen's neck in my mind <laughs> at all times. Um,. Is Dennis Leary's Edgar Friendly is leading a pack of of underground sewer dwellers who want to live free and who don't have any food, but still have bottled beer and hamburger rolls and little plastic trays and wax paper to put the hamburgers made of rat inside. So I have I have questions about where they're getting these these items from. <laughs> um. This movie starts, uh, like you said, um, Cocteau releases, we find out um, Simon Phoenix, the, one of the 20th century's most notorious criminals, played by an amazing Wesley Snipes. And to combat him, the police department in San Angeles, who is not equipped to deal with any kind of crime whatsoever, except with a stern talking to, releases Sergeant John Spartan, played by... A weirdly funny, charismatic Sylvester Stallone mm. into the. I disagree. What? Right no good. I
1: don't. I, I. think he's awful in this. But I think especially he's, compared to the next movie we're talking about. I think I he's about. having fun. I think he's having fun in this. I think he's Whether having not, fun. Works, but I don't think it's charismatic.
2: I think he's got a good. He's got a good
1: charisma. Maybe he's just so. Like Sandra Bullock is, is plays up the like what's going on A pre-speed role. Sandra Bullock yeah what's going on kind of role so yeah. right. like so pre-speed that like Lori Petty was originally cast but they had
2: creative dif- they had creative differences <laughs> as everyone who worked with Lori Petty for a while would. yeah
1: well I mean, like she's like is this like Tank Girl no Lori Petty nothing like Tank Girl I
2: don't want to do it
1: um, and especially Wesley Snipes who somehow found his like depth of charisma for one movie and then lost it, except for, like, White Man Can't Jump. You
2: obviously don't like Passenger 57 as much as I do. He's
1: not charismatic in Passenger 57. What? Passenger
2: 57's the best! He's good. I like
1: Passenger 57, but he's still, like, a a Blade-style, charismatic black hole in that movie.
2: I love it. I love Passenger 57 so much.
1: I think uh, the guy who plays the villain in Passenger 57 is much better. I can't remember that guy's name. Regardless.
2: You look that up, and we'll keep talking about Demolition Man. Um, So the interesting thing about Demolition Man is... Bruce Payne. Bruce Payne. What else was he in? Why can't always. I see him in my, in my mind? Oh, I always see Bruce Payne in my mind. <laughs> um, so the interesting thing he about... Was, he was
1: in one of the uh, Highlander sequels. Which, which one of the dozen Highlander sequels? Endgame, which is, I believe was the fourth of the oh, Okay, I'm not sure I saw it was, that. One. It was a good early 90s kind of go-to villain that you always needed. Mm-hmm. He was in one of the Howling movies.
2: Yeah, we're not, we're not doing ourselves any favors. Oh,
1: no, Warlock! That's where I remember him from. He took over for war- the Warlock films. So he wasn't the original Warlock. He no, was... the original Warlock was uh, Julian Sands. <laughs> Bruce Payne looks a lot like Julian Sands, but Julian Sands is more charismatic okay. than
2: Bruce Payne. We're, we're <laughs> we're going down I think Passenger 57
1: here. would have been better with Julian Sands.
2: Yeah, you think so? Yeah. Um, karate in an airplane is hard, Mario. That's what we learned from Passenger 57. But Wesley Sands makes it look easy. That's true. That's that's where we did are. Did it
1: better than uh, Steven, Sp- uh, and Steven Seagal did karate in an airplane. Steven Seagal just looked
2: he, confused.
1: He didn't even make it into the airplane, Tom.
2: What? Karate? Um, he sacrificed himself so John Leguizamo could make it. So this is a really weird movie. Executive decision, guys. Another good action movie. It is a good, it is a good, it is a good movie. Um... Yeah, it's weird that Steven Seagal played that role. We're really backtracking here, but now that you have mentioned executive decision and John Leguizamo, I'm like thinking about it now. And Kurt Russell just kind of making like <laughs> Kurt Russell spends the whole movie just thinking about stuff. And a lot of the tension comes from like what decision is he going to make? John Leguizamo's,
1: like the leader of the he action is! in that movie. And they
2: drop from the ceiling and it's like. It's awesome.
1: John Leguizamo like had the early makings of like a. Badass kind of like action guy, like he was a, a background villain in Die Hard 2 Die Harder, and then like he had passed. Then he had a uh, decision. They they did Spawn and the Pest, and I think that just ruined him. He did Summer of Sam too. No, he didn't do Summer of Sam. Not no, Summer of like,
2: Sam, the sequel to Summer of Sam. I just mean Summer of Sam also. He also did the sequel. Mira <laughs> Surfino seeks revenge. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, D- Devolition Man is a movie I saw, like, a lot when I was a kid. I like, didn't see Like, a it lot, too much. a lot, a lot. I didn't see it a lot. Um, I just thought it was a lot of fun. And there's not really any blood. There's a lot of, like, shooting and killing and stuff. But, like, um... It's more... Definitely more of an R rating he, for language. He kicks people to... Like, Simon Phoenix kicks people to death. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where he just, like, kicks someone and they just never get up. And then he just steals a car and drives away and you just assume that all those people are dead.
1: I mean, I think the only time, like, I can't, I can't really think of a major kind of gory scene besides Simon's eventual death. Mm-hmm. And that's not even that gory, it's just goofy. Heads
2: up. <laughs> <laughs> kicks his frozen head off. Which
1: is not as good as,
2: oh yeah, well I'm taller,
1: from speed. No, it's just
2: it's the same. No, um, that's speed, 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 but I mean, there. the demolition man. It's one of those movies where, like, you if you start asking too many questions, you say this: the movie doesn't hang together. It's one of those movies that, like, wait, why would anybody ever ask questions about? Demolition so I man? mean, I started when I was watching it again as a thirty-seven-year-old, not having seen it in a really long time. Although I was surprised that, like, watching Wesley Snipes like interact with these two thousand thirty-two cops and, like, be really rude to them, like, really amused me in, like, a little kid way. Um, or when he was just called that machine stupid. Or he called everything stupid. Or, or when he's just, like, the machine is giving him those fines for, like, um, for Not swearing, it. he's just like, fuck you, and it's like, you are fine, one credit for the morality, blah, 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 blah. Um, I kept getting, I got, like, the same rush that I was watching it, but I couldn't get over the fact that, like, Apparently, so all restaurants in San Angeles... Two problems I had, and we can talk about a little bit. All restaurants in San Angeles are Taco Bell because it was the only restaurant to survive the franchise wars, which assumes that all restaurants are franchises?
1: No, it also assumes that Taco Bell paid a good penny for, for, right. for uh, that
2: replacement. All restaurants are Taco Bell. That means that there's no other restaurants. It means there's no other like free money... Which means there's no entrepreneurship in San Angeles. The other question I have is that, like, the way they describe it, it's like Los Angeles to, like, San Diego. This is just a, a small fraction of the United States. What the hell else is happening in the United States? What else is, is happening? And how are these people, they're just like, they get to a certain point, they're like, well, I'm not going to go any further in my car that drives itself. Maybe it's like a man in the high castle
1: situation where it's divided into, like, three equal states. It's like Taco Bell, um, like Del Taco, <laughs> and then uh... An Arby's on the East Coast.
0: Yeah,
2: because East Coast is not going to take in that Mexican shit. Yeah, yeah, we don't want that. Um, but that was, and, and then like the question I already had about like the the you know the Edgar friendly acolytes that live under the city. Like, where are they getting those plastic trays and wax paper from? Where are they getting bottles of beer from? You know what I mean? Where are they getting a hamburger? Are bun these from?
1: questions you've actually, you have actually actually had rewatching this movie? Yes,
2: I did. Why would you ever? Because ask. This is why you don't like action movies. No, no. Like. But this is what I'm actually the point that I would make is that this is why you don't watch this movie when you were obsessed with it when you were 13, and you are watching it again for like the first time in like. 15 years okay, when so you're six. I wasn't obsessed with this movie. I was obsessed with... And I don't mean obsessed like I couldn't stop thinking but I just mean I watched it a lot because I thought it was yeah. a lot of fun. And I, I thought this
1: movie was fun, too. It just... It wasn't brutal enough for me. It still isn't. It's kind of
2: boring it's, for me. It's boring as an action movie. It's It f- works as like a kind of fun buddy comedy with a weird... Like Sandra like Bullock's sex charis- scene where the they charisma, don't touch each other.
1: The charisma between Sandra Bullock and Sylvester Stallone is really good, which is weird. But it's yeah. like a comedic kind mm-hmm. of charisma. Um, but it's it's just not... Like, what you want from those early 90s action movies is either extreme goofiness or, like, extreme amounts of violence. And this movie and this kind movie has of,
2: neither. Different. Right. It's like a It's like a weird amount of goofiness that makes it pleasant and kind of fun to watch. And, like, not that much gore, which kind of supports the fun-to-watch thing. You know what I mean? It's not...
1: Nah, it's no, not, we're going to talk about a movie later that has a lot decent amount of gore that's very fun to watch.
2: But it's that's fun in a different in a different way. This movie is literally asking nothing of you. It's it just wants you, you to sit back it is, and enjoy a, uh, a one-minute minute Dennis Leary stand-up yeah, routine.
1: Exactly. It's asking you to sit there for, like, a minute, listening to him talk about wanting a T-bone steak with a side of barbecued ribs and gravy fries, mm-hmm. um, and then just you know, doing his typical routine. And, like, that's the thing. It's it's so disjointed watching it now. Oh, it's and that's very disjointed. Unfortunate to me. Because the
2: movie we're going to talk about next,
1: which I hated. Hated, hated, hated as a kid.
2: I loved it as a kid, and I could not wait for it to end when I just watched it. The movie we about to talk yeah, about?
1: Yeah, um, For me now, I, I loved it. Really? Oh, it really? The good... After, like, the first 18 minutes. Um, but this for me I remember being so funny and so like (laughs) like Arnold Schwarzenegger like making those goops on Arnold Schwarzenegger and Taco Bell and like everything is a commercial jingle um I remember that being fun and I remember thinking I had fun with this movie and I watched it I'm just not having fun with it it just is stupid it's so stupid it's so stupid though in the ways that the movie we're going to talk about next kind of make fun of in certain ways that, that still are stupid in their way um But it thinks it's being clever at times and it's never being clever. It's not being clever enough. And, yeah, it's not being clever enough. If you're not being clever enough, which a movie we're going to talk about, another solo movie we'll talk about, is never clever enough. Mm-hmm. But at least you make up for it with really fucking solid action scenes. Mm-hmm. And this movie doesn't have them. It has no. no, was, no, no, no. It has you know, still early 90s Wesley Snipes doing karate because everyone assumed Wesley Snipes was a good karate guy.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I mean, you don't even get Wesley Snipes doing good action stuff. You get Wesley Snipes in the action scenes saying really funny things. And then doing a kick. Like, you know, getting really excited when he shoots the laser gun for the first time. I mean, that's kind of funny. Yeah. But the idea that, like, he's shooting a laser gun at Sylvester Stallone, and all Sylvester Stallone has to do is jump on a car to avoid it. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, okay. And he's like, oh, I love this gun. I I can shoot everybody else except Sylvester Stallone with a laser gun. This laser gun can blow stuff up, but it can't blow up Sylvester Stallone. It's like, okay. Because he's got that movie plot armor. Because, yeah, exactly. Do you know what else could have movie plot armor? What's that? Jack Slater. Yeah, he does. For a little bit, he does. Until he doesn't, Mario. I really like Last Action Hero now. Columbia
0: Pictures is proud to present the screen's greatest action hero. Jack Slater. Slater! Don't even think of Slater, you hear me? This is the lieutenant governor. Slater, here's what I do. the governor gets here, call me. And Danny Madigan is his biggest fan. <laughs> Jack Slater 4. But tonight, a magic ticket It's a passport to another world. will get Danny closer to the action <laughs> than anyone ever dreamed.
1: The Jack Slater film I'm talking about is, of course, Jack Slater 1, 2, 3, and the new hit film, Jack Slater 4, starring our most mediocre California governor, but not the worst, because Ronald Reagan was also California governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) We're going to talk about Last Action Hero, the 1993 film. Because that's the year we're talking about only. Don't even know why I'm mentioning the year. Yep. Um, this was a summer blockbuster released in the prime position of one week after Jurassic Park. Did you see it in theaters? I did. I saw it in theaters too. I was I saw Jurassic I was not excited at all for Jurassic Park, and I was very excited for Last Action Hero. Walked out of Jurassic Park loving it. Walked out of Last Action Hero. Very disappointed.
2: Yeah, I did. The, I did not the opposite. And since I, I love Jurassic Park, and when I walked out of Last Action Hero when I was eleven, I was like, "That was awesome."
1: Um, I thought going into Last Action Hero that it was going to be R rated. Uh-huh. I didn't understand ratings back then. And when there was no gore whatsoever, I was intensely disappointed. Like when people <laughs> clearly shot in the chest and their clothes aren't ruined, I was like, "What?" But but, bl- blood, but blood and gore, and it never happened. Um, it is directed by John McTiernan yeah. of Predator, Die Hard, Die Hard with a Vengeance, and Tax Evasion fame. Uh, it Tax- is Tax
2: Evasion is my favorite movie of this.
1: Written, uh, uncredited by William Goldman. Didn't know he did an uncredited writing on it. But uh, David Arnett and the self-referential king of action, Shane Black. It is the tale of a young boy, Danny. Who um, is very poor, very, very, very poor
2: is he really poor
1: he 's really poor they 're so poor why is he so poor because they 're living in pre cleansed Rudy Giuliani, New York City, yeah
2: <laughs> which is where the poor people live,
1: yeah, and Rudy Giuliani just pretended like he did all of that, but not just you know the general finances of the late '90s and the tech bubble and then riding it. the wave of nine eleven I mean, not the 9-11 album. I mean, he used that to gain Yay. success. Rude John is a piece of shit. If you like Rude John, stop listening to this podcast and go fuck yourself. Yeah, please, um,
2: please. We're asking you nicely to go away. No, we're
1: not. We're, I'm asking you very unhonestly. <laughs> um, but he's, he's obsessed with the films. He's obsessed especially with the Jack Slater films, which is a series of PG-13 lowbrow action movies starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's also still making the Terminator movies in this This world, which I think, if he's also doing Jack Slater, Arnold Schwarzenegger is probably not doing. Well, he's doing Jack
2: Slater for the money, but it suggests if he's just if Terminator Two is just on video,
1: he yeah, but he he must
2: have been making those Jack Slater movies like snapping. Yeah, either one a year or he was making them for ten years. Three
1: starring Tom Noonan, which I loved. Yeah, it's awesome. (laughs) And then the fact that I actually talked to Tom Noonan. Like Tom,
2: (laughs) what are you? It's like Tom Cruise. I so fucking love.
1: Who am I? I so fucking love this movie. Um, but Danny gets a magic ticket from Nick the Projectionist, uh, played by a actor I always loved as a kid, who I never knew, Robert Prosky. Mm-hmm. Um, I hated Mrs. Doubtfire, but he's good in that. Uh-huh. Um, he's always a always guy. Is like, oh, I like this guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, was he in? He wasn't in Scrooge, was he? He might have been in Scrooge. He was the guy that was in Scrooge. I don't think he was in Scrooge.
2: That also could have been Bill Murray's brother, though. It was. They but, don't look dissimilar. You know what I was thinking of?
1: I was thinking of he was Grandpa Fred in Gremlins 2 New Batch, a movie I loved as a kid. Um, and I actually kind of, I, I rewatched it, so I love it. Uh, he's given a golden ticket because he's getting a special pre-screening to Jack Slater 4. Yeah. And the ticket Which has he been... goes
2: to after he gets mugged in his own house and chained to a pipe. Yeah. But he leaves the police station where his mom tells him to go straight home, walk through the city, even though he just got mugged and go straight home, and she'll meet him after well, her
1: waitressing shift. She's very poor. Because of the poorness. Everyone's yeah. very poor. Yeah.
2: Um, anyway, good, continue.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. I just, there's so many parts of this movie I love. He goes to see Jack Slater 4, you know, having given magic ticket because he needs to have a ticket to see the movie. Yeah. And the ticket sucks him into Jack Slater 4. And he has to fight to get back, and in fighting to get back, Jack Slater and uh, the always great Charles Dance playing Benedict Mm
0: -hmm. slip
1: into the real world where the film's uh, third act takes place. Mm -hmm. Like I said, as a kid, I fucking hated this movie. I was so disappointed because it wasn't gory. Mm -hmm. I was really... I was so... So often had seen the movie we're going to talk about soon. Um... My, no, I hadn't seen that yet. Of course, I hadn't seen that yet. What movie had I seen a lot of? Um, that, well, Die Hard and Die Hard 2 were the movies I've seen constantly. But then I was used to the movies. But those
2: movies. aren't gory, though.
1: Die Hard 1 is so squibby.
2: Yeah, but it's not like.
1: It's squibby. I was expecting squibby. Oh. Well, squibby, not... squibby, squibby's by gory, I mean. Like, the, eh, the squibby goreness. It's Not really um, gory.
0: No, but like.
1: This it's just a dark It's spot. bloody.
2: Yeah, I guess. Oh, no.
1: No, we're going to talk about... No. Die... Rewatch Die Hard. But there Squibby is, a... is...
2: Squibby is like Sniper, where it's like Black Spot and just kind of like... Yeah,
1: that's that's that, all die, throughout Die oh, Hard. I don't consider that gore. Oh, get okay, the bloody. Really bloody. Yeah. Okay, fine. Um, but it wasn't that at all. Um, and just like... It was too kitty for me, and I just hated it.
2: Because of the cat? The Danny DeVito cat?
1: Actually, I still hate that. I mean, I understand what it's trying to do, but it doesn't work in that world of, like, why... I mean, I guess it makes sense that, like, Dane DeVito would have, like, a a twins reference, and, like, there's a cat in this really shitty... I mean, does this movie know... Like, is Jack Jack Slater supposed to be, like, slightly self-referential in itself? Because why would there be a cat in this movie? Sure. I mean, this is... Okay, So, but I I hated it as a kid, Uh and now I really love it, because it is... So well, making fun of oh, those perfect. plot armor action movies.
2: I mean, the, I mean, it's great watching Last Action Hero and Demolition Man back to back because um, Last Action Demolition Man they is do the serious same version. Yeah, they do the same thing. You know, they open the same way, where like Sylvester Stallone is the Demolition Man and he ruins everything, and then there's a chief that yells, yells at, them, at like, him like, "Why are you ruining everything?" You better everything? have a good lawyer, and then the same Spart- thing. You better have a lawyer, Spartan. And the same thing happens in this with, um, you know, the chief who just kind of yells like inanities at uh, Jack Slater.
1: Yeah, Lieutenant Decker. A good yeah. old Frank McFrey. Who with, with
2: you know, yelling so loud he's breaking the glass of his office and then talking about how loud he's, you know, you know how much it costs him to replace the glass in his office. Yeah. Um, yeah, just, I didn't understand, maybe, did you understand, like, all the action movie parody stuff that was happening? Now? No, when you watched it originally.
1: No, as a kid, no, I, I didn't. I, didn't I, I got it. so I got some of it, but I, I was just so upset it wasn't violent. So, I mean,
2: my problem with this, I think, with this movie now is that, it, so it takes this action movie parody stuff, which is really funny, but then it has this weird, which I didn't notice at the time, and now I find really weird, the fact that Danny is trying to convince... Jack the whole time that he's in a movie. Like, look, I know all these things, because it's, it's a movie. You can do whatever you want. And it just seems like it's, like, it instantly starts spinning its wheels the second Danny gets in the movie, because they don't just let him be in the movie. He's always trying to figure everything out. And so it takes away the like some of the joy of seeing, like, yeah, I, Jack drive down the highway and all the cars behind him, even though he's not, like, in a chase, are just kind of like... Exploding. Exploding and like, crashing. Spin- yeah,
1: and it's just like... And my... I think... It does that eventually. I think when they get to the funeral scene, it finally is Danny in a movie. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah I and agree that's fun. I, I think it should have been a little earlier. I think it, I agree. Um, if they had worked, I, I see this as a kids' movie now. Rewatching it, I think this is meant. I think it was too. Yeah, meant to be a kids' movie. I mean, it's a PG thirteen movie, but still very heavily based around, like, it's kind of little, fun kid jokes. I mean, it's, Like, there's a fart. There's a really heavy fart joke in that funeral
2: scene. I mean, there's a 90s... There's a very 90s, which... It was, a like, early 90s stuff, you could still get away with doing a lot of things, um, with some suspenseful situations with children. So, like, in the beginning of the Jack Slater 3 movie, or the end of the Jack Slater 3 movie with the Ripper... You know, the Ripper's got Jack Slater's kid on the roof, and Jack Slater's kid dies, and Jack Slater throws him a grenade, and which is a knife, and then Jack Slater's kid stabs him, and the same thing kind of happens with, with Danny at the end of the movie with the Ripper. Um, but back in 1993, you could totally do that stuff, and a parent would take their kid with that to that without Would take their kid to that on purpose. You know what I mean? Like I was just reading the, like the Owen Gleiberman book, um, which I talked about before. Um, I've talked about him talking about the book but I was reading it and he was talking about like going to Rosemary's Baby like at the drive-in when he was like seven. You know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. not not dissimilar from some of the stuff that you went through but those were things where like your parents knew, didn't say to themselves like oh this movie's going to be fine. They were just like I don't, you know, whatever we'll just hope for the best you know that he doesn't understand it or what blah, blah, blah. You could take your kid you could actually legitimately in 1993 take your kid to this movie on purpose. And be like, this movie will be fun for them. And kind of is fun for a while. Until it just keeps going and going and going and going and going.
1: Until and it's like, oh, I, God. I, I do. I, I agree. But then, like, I think once there's, like, the attack on his ex, like, Slater's ex-wife's house, it's like, okay, we're spinning our wheels. But then it kind of picks up at the funeral scene. It becomes like an action movie with somebody who realizes they're in an action movie. Mm-hmm. I keep loving the references to F. Murray Abraham. In Mohammed <laughs> He's like, he like, killed he, Mozart. He killed Mozart. Yeah, I kill that? a lot <laughs> of people. <laughs> but, like, the fact that, like, <laughs> you know, it keeps a reference. Yeah.
2: That. <laughs> he um, killed Mozart. But that was, you know what's funny is that movie is not, they're not, like, close together. I mean, it's it's nine years removed from yeah. Amadeus.
1: Um, but yeah, it's just really... I mean, it's still what Ephraim Abraham would be known as. Sure. It's like saying now, like... Poor
2: Ephraim Abraham.
1: You know, it's having... Um, I'm trying to think of a good example. It's like... It'd be like if, you know, you had a comedy movie come out nowadays... And somebody like or comedy action having Jean Dujardin pop up in it and be like, "Oh, he was a silent film guy," you know, like it'd be the same sort of thing because, like, that's what I mean. F. Murray Abraham was so connected with that is that thing, then. yeah, yeah. And like, luckily, he kind of broke out of that. <laughs> um, with, like, kind of like a lot of self-referential stuff back to Amadeus. <laughs> yeah,
2: there's a lot of Amadeus stuff in here. Um, I mean, I think my I think my favorite parody thing is the idea that like when after. Um, Jack falls in the tar pit and he, you know, climbs out and he's covered in tar and, and he just like wipes himself, himself off.
1: off and his shirt's all clean and
2: then he's like, you know, tar sticks to most people and he's just like, <laughs> he's like, like totally clean. clean, yeah. Just has a couple little stain spots on it's it. Great. Um, no, I like this.
1: It's it's fun. It's so much fun and it's you know it's got like the perfect kind of Shane Black like action comedy like that's just really goofy. Um, the running joke with uh Anthony Quinn, um, Vivaldi, mm-hmm. and Charles Dance Benedict's like his like Vivaldi constantly misnaming stuff, leading into that great joke. Like where Benedict finally says like If you do a three sixty, you're where you begin," <laughs> and Anthony Quinn like leading so well into being an idiot. Mm-hmm. Like, who had ever seen Anthony Quinn? Like, I mean, probably he had, but like. Anthony, like You know, the mainstream audience Mm -hmm. at this point had not seen Anthony Quinn being a fucking moron. He's, like, in the pool going, (laughs) spinning his finger around, kind of like it dawning on him before Benedict kills him. Like, all that stuff's fun. Yeah. Or, or like, right afterwards where he attacks Benedict, um, where Slater attacks Benedict and, you know, punches him and goes, like, that's for my cousin. Then slaps him on the wrist, and that's for destroying my ex-wife's house. I
2: mean, to talk about Benedict a little bit, though, I left that theater in pretty frightened of, like, Benedict. Like, with the glass eyes and stuff, like, constantly changing. I was like, that is, I mean, that's stuck in my hip. Are we not kind of
1: bummed that Charles Dance pretty pretty good villain in golden child played a really fun scary for kids villain in this mm-hmm. and did nothing until he became tywin lannister and is only going to be known for being
2: tywin lannister i now. mean for most people that's fine i mean i can imagine most of the people that are on game oh, of but thrones now so... are just going to be
1: no i know but there's so much like good 90s action that mm-hmm. i think we missed out with charles dance sure being the villain well, that's I Like mean, that entire monologue he does, which is so, like, on the nose and goofy, where he's like, Dracula? Mm-hmm. Dracula? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, uh uh-huh? Like, King Kong, he's talking about like all the villains he could bring out into the real world. Like, he fucking sells that I mean, as, like, a good 90s villain.
2: I love the idea that all of those movies are apparently always playing somewhere in New York City all the time. Like, Listen,
1: man, there's an Igmar Bergman thing going on right next door. Yeah. To the world premiere of Jackson and I just, I like
2: how Ian McKellen's death knows exactly what's happening. He's like, oh, you're not on my list, guy that doesn't exist.
1: But, but you... you are, Daniel. <laughs> also, the, in, the, the thought that, you know, Danny could just be fucking reckless with his life yeah. for like decades. Because mm-hmm. he's going to die a grandfather. Yeah, that's true. So he has to at least have working equipment. Yeah So he's not even He's not gonna be You know So he knows He knows yeah So he's
2: gotta be careful though
1: No he can pop back into the He can no, pop back I'm into the Jack's Leary With movie, like
2: though. With like his adolescence Because he can't just be, Go randomly having He's gotta use protection Yeah Because he, if he's gonna die Grandfather He knows he's having kids well, So he, he, he just, can't just kind of like Tell a girl like Oh no it's gonna be fine Blah 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 He He, he doesn't know How old he's gonna be When he's a grandfather You know what I mean?
1: His teenage years are going to be... Are you saying there should have been a sequel where Danny becomes sex-obsessed? Yeah. And sleeps with everybody, but then instantly murders them. He
2: uses the same... He goes to lots of porn theaters when he's 17 and uses the same ticket to go into them. And he gets a lot of non-existent porn actresses pregnant.
1: No, but then he kills them.
2: Yeah. And then Frank Slater kills him.
1: But then he can't, because Slater can't kill him. Jack
2: Slater. Oh, yeah, because... All
1: right. Did we just think of a good? I mean, what's Austin O'Brien doing right now?
2: I don't, I don't even know.
1: Arnold Schwarzenegger's really busy on Reddit today talking about Terminator Dark Fight Fate, so he's not doing anything. I hope,
2: uh, I hope he's still around because a lot of these. Actors he's still, have he's still not... doing
1: some movies here and there. But no, just going back to this movie, like there's there is references in there that are fun, mm-hmm. um, but there's like little underhanded things that I liked that aren't really noticeable. So, speaking of the, the blood and the gore in this, there is none. None. There's none when people, are getting, none sure when people none. are getting shot, yeah. right? Like when Jack Slayer gets shot in the real world, sure, you, see the, you do see the blood because it's like in the real world. Mm-hmm. But that's mentioned, but that's shown earlier, and kind of like in the background.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When uh, Professor Tora Tanaka, the famous NWA WWF wrestler, yep. uh, gets flung through the window of the taxi, there's a huge stream of blood. Mm-hmm. coming from his head that you never focus on. That's not, like, focused on. It's just, like, he's through the window. Well,
2: because Schwarzenegger but, and Danny are talking about it.
1: Yeah. But They're just talking about, like, they're talking about, like, how he's hurt. Yeah. But they're not talking about, like, the fact that this background henchman character is, like,
2: fucking has his, like, head well, smashed in
1: and is bleeding.
2: Yeah, but I think, isn't Jack coughing up blood when he gets shot? No, he, like... Like when they try to get him to the hospital?
1: Yeah, no, no. He's bleeding, like, in the real... But yeah. the first instance of real-world violence, mm-hmm. like, is so in the background. And that is... That's, that's how you know you have, like, a good, talented director mm-hmm.
0: doing oh, this. Oh, he knew what he was doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's
1: fucking John McTiernan. And of course he knows, yeah. knows what he's doing. He made the taxes for many years <laughs> before he got caught. That guy uh, knows his details. And then made a movie about it called Taxes. Um... <laughs> But no, this uh, just rewatching this. It's 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 fun. It's uh, so much fun.
2: Yeah, it's 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 a good it's a good time. I mean, it, again, it was overly long for it is, me.
1: It is. Just there's no endless. reason this movie should be two hours and eleven minutes. But there's, minutes. there's but awesome. To thing. be honest, why why is this so endless for you? you? You you how'd you watch this movie?
2: On my on my TV on Crackle.
1: Yeah, I mean, guys, never watch a film on Crackle because
2: there's commercials. Even if
1: you're trying to save yourself money. Um. So the nice thing... And you can't
2: fast-forward because yeah. of the commercials. Yeah. It just stops you.
1: I mean, you can fast-forward through the movie, but you can't fast-forward through the commercials. You still
2: have to stop for the commercials.
1: Um, but the problem is, is, like, the network television, when they did commercials... Like, and it's, it's probably about... It's probably less commercials than you would find on network television. Sure, it's, television. like, three
2: commercials, yeah. Uh, some of them were, like,
1: two minutes and ten seconds for me. Like, there was, like, seven commercials in a row. Oh, really? Like, Colonial... F- a1 Toyota. Um, but the problem is, is like, Crackle really needs to learn one, don't interrupt the scene in the middle. And two, network TV edited shit out. So, mm-hmm. like, if you're going to do a Crackle presentation, like, keep the violence and language the important parts. But if you're, you know, I don't want a two minute, two hour and 11 long minute movie to become basically three hours long. Yeah, I
2: know. It was interminable. But, I mean, and that could possibly be the reason why um, that it felt so long to me. But it also... It
0: is slightly
2: too long.
1: Like, the 18 minutes... Like, I don't need to see him getting, like, mugged in the beginning. I I think you skipped that. You have him... You have him being told he can't leave the house and have him, like, kind of, like, sneaking around and scared and, like... You know, maybe somebody comes up to him, says something to him, it, freaks him out, and he runs away.
0: Who cares?
1: Bam! You just shaved off seven minutes of that movie. His
2: mom told him not to go out, and then he went out. So there's an inherent drama to that situation anyway. And once he goes into the movie, he's not going to get home until much later, as it is. Because they never bothered to establish a kind of, like, time differentiation yeah. between, like, you know, how long you are in the movie versus how long you are in the thing. I guess it's it's, I guess, real time. I don't know. I mean, Nick fell asleep, so we don't know how long he was watching for, or what he did or did not see. Um, but yes, you don't, you, don't, uh, you don't need all that stuff. I think my problem more, is since in a sense, I think this relates to all parody things, is that once you've kind of established the parody, um, it gets boring to kind of keep re-establishing the parody. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't, like, so the rooftop thing is cool in one sense, and he's when you know he's just like oh this man's still alive and he's just like oh he just picks him up over his shoulders and runs away with him and everyone seems to be okay with it for a while, um, but then like everyone pulls a gun on him and that's cool the first time but they do it two times yeah and you're just kind of like well do we need like an extra thirty seconds and those and again I know it's like thirty and seconds. you could have
1: like expanded that joke to have them firing at him but all somehow missing him.
2: Right. I mean, it's just, it's just, it just goes on. All these scenes in this movie just go on and on and on and on and on. So Danny's, you know, Danny catches practice, um, Salieri, F. Marie Abraham, um, with, you know, his gun pulled on Jack. And then he's like, oh, you always explain it, blah, 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 blah. And then, um, as
1: he's explaining, you know, Vivaldi.
2: It. As he's explaining, you know that thing. Vivaldi catches him, and then there's just more explanations, and it's just like, okay, yes, Which just we leads get to it. We,
1: Danny DeVito killing. Yeah,
2: it's like we understand. We get it. It's like you don't need to just keep doing the same parody stuff over and over and over again. At some point, it just feels like you're beating a dead horse instead of instead of doing I think, something. I think would have been original.
1: I think would have been like completely fine. Is is the amount of like. You know, Danny's obsession with, like, Whitney, they Mm -hmm. did in it. Like, that's the perfect amount of comedy there. Mm -hmm. Of, like, him being like, oh, she's super hot. And, like, do do I have a chance with her? Blah, blah, blah. Or, like, the entire, like, I'm the comedic sidekick. This isn't going to work. Like, those kind of jokes are done in in a good amount of level. Because they're, like, limited.
2: I mean, I don't like... And I don't think it's necessary the idea to make Jack Slater. Because they wouldn't normally make Jack Slater this way in a movie. So when he goes into his apartment and he, like, shoots the closet and there's a guy in it. And he's like, oh, there's a guy in your closet. Like, oh, there's always a guy in my closet. And he talks about how he pays a woman at the pharmacy to call his office. It's like, why? Why are we going through all this? Yeah. Why are we having this conversation? You don't, you
1: don't need gravitas in the fake world. Why are like, we having gonna this? Have, you're going to have Jack Slater, like, having an existential crisis in the real world. Right. That's all you need.
2: Well, why are we having Whitney, like, explain the reason why she's kissing Danny? Like... Why was she even kissing him? Make her kiss him at another point. She doesn't have to start them, like, the, he's already in love with her. You don't have to start his introduction to her in the movie with him, her kissing him with this weird backstory of, like, oh, it's a sorority game and this guy is going to come and I have to kiss him and blah, blah, It's like, no one cares. No one cares about this. Yeah, no, I agree. Don't try to make a real movie inside the fake movie. Just let it be, a uh, like, turn into that parody thing. Where the cat is a, a, a sexual predator, and you know the chief is breaking all the glasses, and all the women are always dressed in like the tightest clothes ever.
1: Which is funny. Like looking like there's some self-referential stuff to like the problematic relationship that women had in action films. That mm-hmm. just like you know, ten years later, that movie would have done a deeper
2: dive into it. Or there's another movie like the last last action here that literally just talks about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean I actually think the next movie we're going to talk about is also a problematic movie for women and that next movie is Cliffhanger
0: I got you I got you I got you you're right. you're going right. you're not going to die don't you lose game it's a I'm oh hold her, Gabe. Hold her, Gabe. Please don't let me fall. Please, please, I don't want to die. You're not gonna die. Sarah, I got you. Just reach up. You can do it. Please, baby, just reach up. Reach up. Gabe, man, don't you lose her. Don't you let her go. Don't let me fall. I'm slipping. Sir, please.
1: The movie was a summer blockbuster. Started it was, out with made summer. a lot of money. It made a lot of money, very deservedly. Yeah. Seventy million dollar budget made two hundred fifty-five million dollars. And we just talked about John McTiernan, right? Director of Die Hard One. Cliffhanger. Directed by Rennie Harlan, director of Die Hard 2, Die Harder. The Deuce. Which is also really great. Um, you know what is about? It's about a bunch of people in the Italian Alps pretending like they're in the Colorado. Yeah. Because it is the Italian Alps. Because those mountains, I'm sorry, as a person from the West, the Rockies are not that mountainous. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is the tale of Climber Gabe. Sylvester Stallone in a much more charismatic role. Um, While
2: simultaneously being less charismatic somehow. That's incorrect.
1: (laughs) He's a former mountain climber who's kind of haunted by the uh, death of the girlfriend. It's a really solid opening scene. It's a a really fucking good opening scene of um, his best friend played by the always great Michael Rooker. I mean... Michael Rooker He's so good in this.
2: Yeah, Michael Rooker. Michael Rooker is good in everything. Always good. But, yeah, he's really good. But it's like, some people are like, Michael Rooker's good because
1: he's with James Gunn. And it's like, fuck you, man. James Gunn's good because he's got Michael Rooker. I don't Rooker. believe
2: for a second that Michael Rooker can just casually free Solo up a mountain.
1: Mm-mm.
2: Also, even also, for a minute.
1: Also, spoilers, you can't free Solo up an ice mountain. That nope. is impossible.
2: Yeah. So, There's a
1: really fun video with Alex Hunnold, uh reviewing... And I, I have friends who just, like, climb and they're mm-hmm. not free solos or anything. Um, well, like, free solo, like, boulders, because that's not free solo, and that's just bouldering. You don't fucking... Okay, continue. But who, like, <laughs> Alex this is just, like, he loves Cliffhanger, but he's talking about, how, like, you would die instantaneously if you tried to free solo.
0: <laughs> well,
2: especially doing, like, a jump with your arms. Like, it's just you know a lot There's no grip.
0: No, There's, There's no, no grip. grip. Yeah. You
1: would slide right off. Um, but they... Uh, are in hot pursuit of Eric Quaylen, played by the, one of the great early
2: 90s villains. Uh, The unnecessarily British in this movie, John Lithgow.
1: Wait a minute, I just realized something. Oh, John Lithgow's not British. No. I'm going to be honest. As a little kid,
2: I always thought... He's from Ohio or something. From Rochester, New York. Oh, okay, this is the same. Um, literally, is the same thing as Ohio.
1: But I'm gonna be, I just realized. I I knew he wasn't British. Mm-hmm. But I just realized that I was convinced as a seven year old boy. Well, the question that he is,
2: Mario, why is this multinational group of like a dozen guys that he's got coming with him to on this? Plot to take this hundred million dollars. But anyway,s they're bills. stealing a hundred
1: million dollars from the treasury, and unfortunately, crashes into the mountains as right. they're trying to do a air to air transfer. Um, and they, you know, take take Hal kind of hostage to to retrieve the money. Uh-huh. Go fetch, you go fetch. Oh <laughs>
2: he's go fetch and then like Rex Lynn is like the worst villain ever in the history of movies Just like go fetch motherfucker This, this movie is ridiculous this movie's villains are ridiculous they take everything to 11 for literally no reason there's nothing Hal and Gabe can do in the situation that they're in. You want, but they just yell at
1: them. Do for you the, want to hear do You want to hear another literally. fun story. So Cliffhanger really set the tone for the way Mario saw the world in the 90s. That's awesome. In the fact that when I saw on Deadly Ground, yep. I thought Rex I was like, "Oh, Rexlin, like I was like that guy really became a better actor as a villain cuz like he's kind of bad in this. He's terrible in this." But I was like, "I thought he became like much better." That, that actor was not Rex Lynn on Deadly Ground playing that henchman. That actor was Billy Bob Thornton.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: He's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: thought, I thought Rex Lynn had just gained weight. Yeah, and just kind of... And became Billy Bob He was who Thornton. he needed to be. Billy Bob Thornton, by the way, is on in the Stephen Seagal film on Deadly Ground. Fucking awesome, that movie. That movie is a garbage fire. <laughs> but if you just want to watch Billy... My mom and I saw that in theaters and re there was actual like booze in the theater when Billy Bob Thornton kind of like the henchman dies in that movie because he's so good has like a comedy relief, mm-hmm. but still kind of like good, like focused. He's just a nothing henchman. He's like the, uh, oh, the, the Asian henchman who steals the crunch bar in diehard. Um, mm-hmm. spoilers guys, Die Hard's on my list. Um, I think everyone knows that a thousand times over. Uh, but he's just such a force that people booed when he died. Mm-hmm. And but I thought Rexlin was that guy because of cliffhanger. Because I yeah. thought everything like circled around cliffhanger.
2: Cliffhanger, yeah. um, Are we done with the plot?
1: Yeah, I mean the plot is that they, just, you know, Gabe has to chase these guys down mm-hmm. and save Hal.
2: Yeah, or save somebody, himself, Hal. It's unclear. What he's doing past a certain point. He's just trying to get revenge. And You know
1: who he's not going to save? Leon? He's not. <laughs> not going to save Frank.
2: No, he's not going to save Frank.
1: I almost cried as a little kid when Frank dies.
2: Yeah. That's it's a sad death scene. Because he's, has no. there's no reason for him to die.
1: I know. It's a Randy Harlan movie. So many characters. Rennie Harlan is the king of killing off people in action movies that have no reason to die. Just to make the villain more villainous. Like, yeah. in Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Where it's like, oh man, I wish I was with you guys in Grenada. And, and um... <laughs> oh god, what's that actor's name? I can't remember his <laughs> name, but it's like, I wish I was too kid. So I wouldn't have to do this. And slits his throat. Uh-huh. And it's like...
0: Well, well I mean,
2: John Lithgow does the same thing like, to that woman.
1: Oh, oh, oh! Or in Die Hard 2 also... When he shoots uh, the church-going guy, uh-huh. he's like, oh, I feel a little part of me is dying with this place. No, you could say that again, or, like, something to that effect. And he shoots him to death, and then, like, the arm falls. It's like that. But Rennie Harlan knows... Or, like, Christian Slater in Mindhunters, when he just dies in the beginning. Rennie Harlan. You know what, guy? You get a lot of shit. I like Rennie Harlan. But
2: that's the same thing that happens in this movie. Like, John Lithgow kills that woman, that he just says, like, you're going to make a good wife to... A couple of scenes earlier, maybe not like a scene earlier, um, and who he touches her, like caresses her face, you know, earlier, like in the, in the heist scene. Also, he just shoots her to prove a point to Rex Lynn, to Travers, that, like, I'm in control of this. Yeah. I don't, I don't care. I brought like 10 of these guys. Do you know why? I brought a multinational the, crew of people. So,
1: all of this was building to something for Rainy Harlan. And purposeless deaths, right? You know, Die Hard 2, Long Kiss Good Night as a few, Cliffhanger as a... Cutthroat Island. I don't remember any of the Cutthroat Island in yeah. Purposeless death, but it was building to Samuel L. Jackson's
2: best death scene in Deep Blue Sea. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. An- uh, uh, that is another great Rennie Harland film. A movie that is not mentioned in our 1999 book that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. They just mention that they do not talk about Deep Blue Sea
1: people who sees a, a, one harps in a film about identity
2: but it's not like it's not, there's no Burrows, cultural impact
1: Saffron Burroughs thinks she's something else and then she tries to be something else but she fails because she's not worthy so
2: what's the best part of that Samuel L. Jackson death scene is it the fact that the shark for a moment is the exact same size as Samuel L. Jackson and then it gets bigger that's my favorite part
0: yeah
2: <laughs> it's that he's right next to Samuel L. Jackson but the perspective means the perspective that they show means that Samuel L. Jackson should be like a hundred feet away from him. And then the shark should jump a hundred feet out of the water and land on him and drag him back in. Which I mean would have been fucking awesome. Would have been that
1: yeah. happened.
2: A slow motion like side shot of like a computer generated shark. And you just see, jumping You see, out see of the Thomas water.
1: Jane and like Hello Cool J being like <laughs> Got Michael Rappaport. Uh, my just excited Rappaport. to be in a movie. Um <laughs> another death scene I was exci- I was really sad about in really the horror movie, with the parrot. In Deep Blue Sea. Why is the parrot got to die? Why do they even have a parrot? Because LO Cool J needs to have some sort of ethos.
2: Is that why he, he's in that Chris O'Donnell show with NCAA, oh, NCIS Los Angeles? Oh, I thought, Chris you're saying, O'Donnell I thought you were
1: saying that Chris O'Donnell movie um, rollerball. But then I realized you're, that was Chris Klein again.
2: No, the Chris O'Donnell movie sent of a Woman. <laughs> Al Pacino's a parrot. LO <laughs> Cool J. <laughs> Okay. Um, we should get back to the <laughs> the problem you with these the problem with back. these
1: action movie uh, like bonus episodes is I'm going to go crazy off of sure. things I connect everything no, to. No, but, I mean, so guys, if you're not a fan of that you, you should avoid all Mario, the action it's movies. it's also
2: the problem with like some of these action movies that aren't like they're awesome movies to watch but they're also not very good movies. So it's hard to kind of stay focused with them. Yeah. So this movie I'm sorry. Are you, are you using this movie as an example?
0: Yeah, this movie is an
2: example. I mean, this movie is good. The movie is a lot of fun. This I actually, movies, I actually fucking really fucking lo- incredible. I love this movie, but it like it's just weird. It doesn't
1: make any sense. Oh, it doesn't. At it it all. makes all the sense. <laughs> his best friend, who he allowed the girlfriend of his best friend, they were going to get married. They were going to live. Well, Michael Rooker was never going to have to like become an alien point, hybrid. No, the dude. the thing
2: that makes no sense about that is that the alternative there was no alternative. What was the alternative? And the other question is, why were they so casual about, like, oh, we're thousands of feet up on this mountain. Oh, we've got a helicopter landed over here. You have to go 400 feet. Was it 400 feet? Yeah, something like that. Across a fucking chasm. And they're just like, whatever. It's cool. It'll be fun.
1: You have your fingers, how many fingers am I holding up here?
2: Well, two fingers and a thumb. How many so, digits am I holding up three. here? Three digits.
1: That's how many Oscar nominations Cliffhanger got. Sound, sound effects, and visual effects. hmm
2: I don't see Which it deserves. Yeah. I'm God. not saying it doesn't deserve it. I'm just saying that like there's a weird moment in the movie where the bags fall. Remember where the bags fall? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I fucking remember. Do you everything remember where the bags movie. fall? Do you remember for how much longer they fly that plane before they crash it?
0: No, for that's, that's like fine. a
2: good couple of minutes. Those bags are not like. That's why they can't find the pla- the bags. No, but they're not like immediately available. They find a bag. They crash the plane. They don't move. Sylvester Stallone and Michael Rooker come to find them. They take them hostage. Sylvester Stallone finds a bag. One of the bags, like, fifteen minutes later. Well, you know why? There's like, because as the as the bags are falling, there's like upward drag
1: from the air. This is all physics, and it sure it pulls.
2: yeah pivotal physics.
1: Yep pulls that bag in the direction... Because uh-huh. of the drag of the plane. Mm-hmm. It first propels it away. Sure. But then it gets sucked in the undercurrent. You think that's... So the you think this... So it gets kind of sucked in a in like a, vor- like a jet stream. A jet... See, I guess... Because they're in a jet. I've, a jet stream pulls it back into the direction of the plane.
2: I've always assumed that the physics were not correct in this movie. So you're saying they must be correct.
1: Oh, I believe this was...
2: Yeah. The most physically correct movie ever made.
1: Yeah, Christopher Nolan use this film when doing interstellar mm-hmm. you think he did yeah this is actually interstellar is just a blatant plagiarism
2: <laughs> of cliffhanger <laughs> so here's my other here's my concern that kind of leads into um, does that does that settle does that yeah, settle that question that's well? fine okay. um, i think this movie is really fun i love this movie i love watching this movie i think everything in this movie kind of works the one thing that i mean in a, in a ridiculous sense There's no reason for John Lithgow to be British. There's no reason for him to have ten guys with him. There's no reason for Rex Lynn, for Travers, to have the attitude about anything that he has. There's no reason for that soccer guy to be, like, narrating the soccer match in his head when he's kicking Michael Berger in the face. Oh, I'm sorry.
1: I'm sorry. Yes, there is.
2: No, there's not!
1: Because when he eventually gets kicked and killed...
2: Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Michael Rooker, in his best 55 packs of Marlboro voice, can say,
0: Season's over, asshole!
2: No, no. There's nothing in this movie that Michael Rooker does that's better than, like, several lines he has in JFK. But season's over, asshole... Season's over, asshole is fine. Is
1: one of the best it's lines. It's great,
2: yeah. In this movie. It's fantastic. Um, my but uh, So, uh, a thing that I think is weird in this movie... And when I'm talking about when I talked about the end of the last action hero thing, where women women kind of get like a weird, sh, you know, shrift in this movie, is that um, Janine Turner's Jesse? When the movie starts, you know, she's flying the helicopter that goes and finds Michael Rooker and his girlfriend, who eventually dies. Um, but you just assume that she's on the same level as Gabe and Hal, right? Did you assume that? I assumed that. I assumed she was a mountain person. Yeah. Apparently, she is not a mountain person. Apparently, she doesn't know anything about climbing mountains. Apparently, she needs Sylvester Stallone's arms to be around her at all times. He needs to be holding her hand. She doesn't know how to use a rope or a pick or anything. She doesn't know how to do anything. What, which is prob- would Extremely problematic, especially since she's how is played- she a mountain like ranger?
1: And this actress, you know, she was playing such like a. A powerful lead in Northern Exposure at this time, which well, is a I great. Think even in by the movie, way, if you're talking bit. about solid early '90s like drama sitcoms, I guess. Yeah. Northern, Northern Exposure, Exposure is, is a movie. No, the show nobody talks about anymore. But that was,
2: David Lynch should take it over and make a Showtime special. It
1: kind of has some Lynch elements
2: to it. Sure it Northern does. Exposure. I think it actually does that. I think it did it on purpose. I think it was post Twin Peaks. Huh. Attempt at a Twin Peaks thing.
1: That was my mom's favorite show for the longest time.
2: Twin Peaks or Northern Exposure. Northern Treasure. Yeah, I, didn't, I, didn't I loved that show as a kid. I've seen a couple episodes of it.
1: All of her husbands keep di- or fiancees keep dying in hilarious ways. One of them gets hit with a satellite and they have to put him in a coffin. <laughs> it's, a satellite. it's
2: very Lynchian. Very Lynchian. <laughs> it's great.
1: Um But no, that is
2: problematic. It it it's it's, it's kinda of problem don't...
1: with like Stallone movies in general.
2: Yeah. Well they're, they're this... all there for and and this is, I think, one of the things I appreciate. Though is that like this is why I've
1: always been a Schwarzenegger guy over a Stallone guy. Because, there's never a strong woman really in a Stallone movie.
2: Well, there's not. There's always these strong women in Stallone movies, and they always just end up having sex with him. Yeah. Except in this movie, I which I. It's funny. I assumed that him and Jesse yeah. would find a place to have sex. Yeah, me too. Because he always does. But in it's always, all it of is always professional. That was good. That good? Oh, no, it's a specialist, not a professional.
1: No, oh, I, thought, I thought you were thinking of... Honestly, <laughs> I thought you were thinking of Assassins.
2: Assassins too. That's another one. Wait, does he have sex with Julianne Moore in Assassins?
1: I think he does. Yeah. I think they do. That's weird. I don't remember. Assassins is a movie I r- watched and forgot about. Mm, me too.
2: But I definitely saw it, because I saw all these movies. Well,
1: Assassins was uh, Wachowski's siblings, too, I think wrote that movie. Mm. Thank you, best movie book ever.
2: Bow, bow, bow.
1: Um...
2: But Cliffhanger is.
1: It's so quotable. It's fun. I mean,
0: well, Cliffhanger to me. But I think you know s- what
1: Cliffhanger to me reminds me of? Cliffhanger is Tommy Boy and Naked Gun for action.
2: <laughs> Why?
1: Because it's but, just so much fun and but so eminently quotable.
2: Think it's, I think it's. Aside if from you're
1: looking for Quaylin, try about 4,000 feet south of here.
2: He'll be the one wearing the helicopter. It's like, okay, you're on top of a mountain and we're flying around in a helicopter. Like.
0: Please just... Tom, let's just if figure you, this out.
1: if you kill a few people, you're a murderer. If you kill a million, you're a conqueror. Go figure.
2: You know who is a conqueror, Mario? John Malkovich knows a little bit about that. In, in our what? Next, in our next movie. He knows about killing lots of people. <laughs> oh, okay. That's fair. And the difference between murdering one person and killing a lot of people. Our next movie... Is the amazing, also three-time Oscar-nominated movie for real Oscars? Yeah. <laughs> um, in the line of fire.
0: Looking at a living legend, the only activation who ever lost a president. Oh my god, that's you. Yeah, Frank Oregon, the Secret Service agent. Yeah, you JFK's favorite agent, the best and the brightest. Fate has brought us together, Frank. Who the hell is this? Why not call me Booth? Booth and Flair, Panache. What makes you think you'll call again? Panache. Panache. Yeah, it means flamboyance. I know what it means. Really?
2: I had to look it up. Uh, In the Line of Fire stars Clint Eastwood as Frank Horrigan, who is a Secret Service agent who worked under Jack Kennedy um, and who was on detail, the car detail, when Kennedy got shot. He did not prevent the bullet from hitting Kennedy, obviously. Um, In this movie, it is 30 or so years later, and there has been a new plot, or a new Threat on the current president, uh, made by Mitch Leary, who they know is a, a, a bunch of names before they know him as Mitch Leary. He's played by the excellent John Malkovich, who was nominated for uh, a Supporting Actor Oscar. Does a name for this movie? The,
1: absolutely. And re, re, one one of, re, of the great. One of the great Oscar years, years in terms of Supporting Actor. Well,
2: and the fact that there was a six one two. The fact that Denzel Washington didn't get nominated for Philadelphia makes a little bit of sense compared to these guys but he would have also been an understandable I actually think he was more deserved for of a nom, of a win here than Tom Hanks was Tom, uh, for Philadelphia. Okay. Um but yeah, we've talked I think we have, we've talked about this before, haven't we? Or maybe we've definitely talked about it off-air. We talked about off-air. Um it's like, slightly on on-air, but you know, Tommy yeah, Lee Jones all wins. All five
1: of these guys deserve to be there. Um, I don't particularly care as we talked about Tom Jones in this. I don't I think he should have been there, but Whatever, um, but the thing off air we've always talked about is—is is I still say Ray Fiennes. Got, sure, got I mean, But John Malkovich is like my number two. And that, I mean of these got yeah,
2: Leonardo DiCaprio for What's *Eating Gilbert Grape*, and then *Piposto*. Piposto for *In the Name of the Father*. All which of is a them movie make everyone sense. has forgotten. Right? Maybe and we do we a bonus need. episode of Irish movies from
1: 1983, um. or just all the Daniel De movies everyone's forgotten about. Yeah. <laughs> No one remembers my left foot in, in the name of the father.
2: Or was the, uh, my sweet laundrette, or my whatever it is, laundrette. And one. Yeah.
1: Or was that one, was that was that movie he did?
2: Nine and a half. Nine and a half, yeah. Or not, uh, no, nine.
1: Nine, yeah. Nine. Um, Which, I mean, you can forget about.
2: Yeah, he hopes to forget about it too. Everyone thought Rob Marshall was gonna win everyone Oscars all the time, and they were wrong. No, I think
1: Daniel Day-Lewis only agreed to do that movie so his wife could get funding for something else. That's like the long room where for I've the heard.
2: for the ballad of Emily and Rose. Yeah. Or for Jack and Rose, yeah. Um But I think I still think Rob everyone thought Rob Marshall was gonna be like a perennial Oscar contender. Um regardless. We'll move on. Um there's a bunch of supporting actors in here. I mean, basically the whole movie boils down to Frank is trying to find Mitch before Mitch kills the president. Um, In service of that goal is Rene Russo as Lily Rains. Speaking of women having a weird time in in 1993 action movies, Um, Dylan McDermott plays uh, Frank's partner Al. Gary Cole is in their... Uh, as Bill Watts, who is like the Secret Service <laughs> that, chief,
0: that
1: is the the core of Gary Cole's performances in movies. Gary Cole is in there.
2: Gary Cole is in there, and he yells at Frank a bunch, and then he just gives Frank everything he wants anyway. So who really cares? Um, you get a you Fred get sh- to get shot. You get a good Fred Thompson performance. Yeah. Um, you know when Fred Thompson was in these kinds of movies as the chief of staff of the president, um, and this then is, this is
1: coming right off of uh, another. Uh, this is coming off of Die Hard 2. Yeah. Two and years years then
2: afterwards and a, a terrific rest in peace John Mahoney as the secret service director just literally being John Mahoney what i mean like do doing want, John Mah- do you
1: want anything else from John no Mahoney? i just
2: want John Mahoney to be there and to be John Mahoney and whatever he says everyone agrees with because he's John fucking Mahoney um this movie got nominated besides best supporting actor it got nominated for editing and for um writing best original screenplay um, it is directed oh, by Wolfgang Peterson who would direct Air Force One which is an okay movie um, uh, last boat well
1: wh- what Air Force One is a what movie
2: okay did you want to say it's a good movie yeah,
1: it's, a, it's a great movie until its last act
2: it's it's fine
1: and once Gary Oldman dies it loses the get off of my
2: plane no it's fine movie it's 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 fine I have no I have no real problems with it, but I also don't have, like, a lot of love for it. Um, the Neverending Story? I, I don't know Wolfgang Peterson directed The Neverending Story. Outbreak, which is a movie I really like. I really like Outbreak, um, which is another Rene Russo movie. Dustin Hoffman and Cuba Gooding Jr. That's a good triumvirate of stars there. And uh, The Perfect Storm, which is a movie I fucking hate. But only because it's just a movie about a storm that has... George Clooney trying to do too much and Mark Mark Wahlberg not doing anything. And John C. Riley doing good though. John C. is always doing good. But that's neither here nor there. Um I think we had talked How dare you skip over the Poseidon remake. We didn't <laughs> <It's> a... <clears throat> We had talked off air about like structuring these conversations into like conversations about what works and what doesn't work in each of these movies, which you've obviously kind of abandoned. But I think since this is the first a real movie we're talking about. Like, Cliffhanger's close. It's almost a real movie, but it's so ridiculous in some scenes that it's, it kind of can't be. This is an actual movie. Hmm. So I will ask you, and we'll have a discussion about it, what works for you in In the Line of Fire, and what doesn't work for you in, in the Line of Fire? Or I can go first, or you can go first, or Yeah, whatever. you should go first, because I struggle to think of what doesn't work okay, for me so in I actually have a bunch of things that don't work and like i'll start with like there's weird things in the 90s that they did where they thought things were going to be really like tense scenes um and they lingered on them and they but they're not tense they're just kind of silly so when they do like the shape shifting of like leary's faces mm. when they computer generate all those things they really linger on all these different things that they're doing you're just like oh he can be anybody But it's very silly. Like it comes off as ridiculous that they would make bother to make all these different weird composite sketches of his face and print them out and have him have. At one point, he has like chops, sideburns that come down to his chin, but like he looks like Wolverine, but with like a goatee. And you're just kind of like, that's weird. I think something like pretty sure he wouldn't ever look like that.
1: Well, I think it's always interesting about this film is I remember reading just about the production of this movie. For one thing. Um, Jeff McGuire, who wrote it, mm-hmm. who it was about ready to like just leave and, and leave the industry, um, like he was like a week away from it mm-hmm. when he, like the script sold for a million dollars, which is for, good. Him. Good um, for him. But I think they sold. They spent something in the area of like ten percent of the budget just on visual effects, just for like adding, mm-hmm. you know, de aging Clint Eastwood, or they were like de age him. They literally just took shots of him from Dirty Harry and put it in the pre Oh, the
2: pre for- forest Gump? Yeah. forest Gump scenes? Yeah. Um, I love those. They make me laugh.
1: And, like, so that sort of stuff works for me, because it, I rewatch this movie, and I'm like, that's the error. That's, that's like, well, what yeah, they yeah, did yeah. then. No, and like, it doesn't is, work.
2: I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm just talking about that, that, that scene. It doesn't build the tension that you would think it builds. But
1: it does in the early 90s. Well, maybe. Like, Patriot Games d- did a lot of that, too.
2: Well, but Patriot Games didn't do shape-shifting faces.
1: No. They no. just
2: kind of showed different
1: pictures of But there's a lot people. of lingering. There's
2: a lot of lingering, but it also doesn't have a weirdo, like, Untouchables light, a Neo cohn score. No, kind no, of going sorry. through un- underneath all that stuff. It has that beautiful Irish oh, score. Oh, God, there. I
1: never realized the Neo the score for this movie. Um,
2: the love story... The 63-year-old versus 38, 39-year-old love story is kind of odd. It it doesn't. It does not. That um, does not work at all. I think um, Clint Eastwood fucking stinks in this movie. But, I mean, it's. He, I know he's just yeah. being Clint Eastwood, but he's has a goofy smile on his face literally for the whole movie, except when he's coughing.
1: The thing I like about that, though, is the fact that Malkovich plays off of that so well. Plays off that kind of, like that Leary character plays off of this so well in terms of, like, the faking it, sort of... and presenting, like, this false face. Like, Leary and and Malkovich's character makes it seem like he's doing this to, like, cover up how he actually feels.
2: Well, there's, like, a weird... There's a weird bravado to the Eastwood character where he's trying to pretend the whole time that he's, like, a greater... Not a greater, but a more deserving person, a more... Full person, like a better person, a person who actually did stop Kennedy's bullet. You know what I mean? The whole movie, even though like there's an underlying sense that you know we know he didn't stop Kennedy's Kennedy's bullet, and that he's ashamed of himself. Um, but I think I think you're right a little bit. But I'm not sure Eastwood's doing any of that stuff on purpose. I mean, the thing that works best for me in this movie is, I mean, Malkovich is like fucking amazing.
1: Yeah, this this, this um this was the first. Movie where maybe I was so enamored by a performance um, for me, like Malkovich is just fucking incredible. That scene where he tries out the zip gun, mm-hmm. to see if it oh all works. God. You well, know, like that... it's so tense and just like even when he's not talking and he's just building the gun, it's just like he carries fire. this spaghetti, yeah, and, and like the like the phone conversation, which could be hammy because it's written. Hammy. It's
2: written very hammy, yeah.
1: Like Malkovich. Has such he has like a bravado to that, like Mm -hmm. like, but a real bravado. Well, and when he which is like like shaky,
2: and when he breaks the necks of those two women, like yeah, he breaks their necks, and that's gross. But the tension comes from all the the interaction beforehand. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And when he's at the house, and he's like not even trying to pretend like his presence there makes any sense, and he just says random things, and she's just like, "Wait, what?" And he just like you know keeps talking because he has to keep talking. Um and then the first monologue where he, you know, yells at Frank um when he kind of explains like the nature of his being and his relationship to the ideal of the president and, yeah. and or his ideal of his idea what his idea of the country was and what his country has is, told yeah. him that like the actual idea of it is um is you know, kind of breathtaking. It's it's acting, it's acting on the level of all these other people that got nominated for Academy Awards. You know what I mean? Who just put it all on the table, everything that they can do, for a minute, and and it makes the whole movie. You know what I mean? It justifies everything that has what, come before
1: it. Well, I think I think it's a fine like my. I guess my thing that doesn't work is the screenplay is is really paint by numbers. It's a really kind of paint by numbers kind of mid nineties to Late 90s kind of action drama, like it, like, like, look at how you know Clint Eastwood would kind of try to emulate in the line of fire with um, what is it, 97 or 98's Absolute
2: Power? Oh, I love Absolute Power, yeah,
1: but he, he's still trying to emulate that kind of well, he, um, but
2: here's the thing with Absolute Power though, cause 97 he, he directed yeah. Absolute Power, yeah, so he Clint Eastwood is actually a better director than Wolfgang Peterson. So Absolute Power is about pace and is about withholding information and is about um, that kind of build-up to, like, a certain event that we know is coming. You know what I mean? Where in this movie, like, we get to Absolute see... Absolute Power,
1: another William Goldman screenplay.
2: I, I love that. Absolute Power is a movie that was almost... Like, you know, it's in, it's in the... 106 to 200 somewhere. Um, but, like, in the same, but
1: in that way, like, Absolute Power kind of like, it's carried and brought up by its direction and, like, that kind of, like, really good Hackman performance in that movie. Um, but the screenplay, like, like even though I like William Goldman, like, the is still, like, it's a solid screenplay because it's William Goldman doing it, but it's still, like, is that espionage kind it's of
2: espionage but it's also i mean this movie is really concerned like i think the weird thing the, the thing that didn't work most for me in this movie is the really weird misogyny that runs through the whole thing Well uh, see for me like and i'm just you're just kind of like why is any of this here see like, for me the is misogyny this, going is going on yeah
1: i mean i, I always took Horrigan as kind of like a fake and just like a loser like, he, he feels, to me, throughout that entire movie, like a loser. Mm-hmm. And I think that's mostly Malkovich is doing. Because Malkovich presents himself as a loser, and then really convinces the audience that Horrigan is his compatriot in that level of being. Mm-hmm. And he is. Because like, the okay. way Horrigan's presented is kind of like just this lame nothing, who's like trying to play like this old bravado, and everyone around him is like, this isn't going to work anymore. Well, yeah, you're um, not
2: this guy anymore.
1: Yeah, you're not this guy. It doesn't work, and he kind of just by pure luck and happenstance falls into being right, mm-hmm. um, and and just that Malkovich character has like a real—I don't want to say vulnerability necessarily—but he has such a patheticness to him. He's—he's—he well, needs to prove himself somehow because he's not a. Individual, he has okay. literally been following orders the entire time, and so I take the misogyny of that as just being this fucking the guy who failed once and doesn't have the the backbone to admit his failure and move on from it, mm-hmm. and is now kind of like trying to like always Prop himself be up, be the tough guy.
2: Well, I mean, this is... and I think
1: he's because he's surrounded by other people who do know their shit and do know what they're saying. And
2: well, it's just there's the one line where he they're, they're eating Briar's ice cream with sticks on like the. You know, the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Which is,
1: which is what you, how you, which you do.
2: And um, he says to her, you know, oh, how many women agents are there? I don't think I've ever worked with a woman agent. She's like, oh, there's 125 of us. And she's just like, oh, that's window dressing. And then he, like, she's just like, kind of like, oh, okay. And he's like, hedges, the script hedges by making him say like, well, we're all window dressing and blah, 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 and whatever. But it's, I think...
1: I think, but maybe it's, I like, I, make, I take it as, like, an assertion of him trying to assert power and her going, like, right. well, fuck yourself. I think
2: you make a really good point in the sense that I think that his – what we see of him as a human is related directly to what he has encountered with this Leary thing. Or with the fact that he's the only person on the Secret Service staff that, like, has lost a president. You know what I mean? Um and so he's like constantly trying to like prop himself up as a human, which in 1993 meant propping himself up as a man. But I don't know if Leary... I think the interesting dichotomy between Leary and Horrigan is that Leary understands the depths of his patheticness, and it becomes a strength for him, where Horrigan doesn't understand the depths of his patheticness And it becomes his weakness and costs, like, Dylan McDermott his life. You know what I mean? Like, Horrigan is unwilling to admit that he doesn't want to take a bullet for... He's not willing to take a bullet for the president. Yeah. And it bugs the shit out of him. And so he just degrades everybody around him to make up for the fact that that he's weak. What I think's interesting is comparing,
1: you know... The the, the, char- the the actual person that Horrigan's based off of, Clint Hill, with, um, you know, the character. Mm-hmm. Like, Clint Hill has that really famous 60 Minutes interview with Mike Wallace, okay. where he fucking breaks down crying and goes, like, I could have done something. You know, mm-hmm. I, I could have done more. I, I, I should have been faster. I shouldn't have reacted. Basically, in a roundabout way, he says, like, I thought about my own self for a second instead of, like, jumping in front of the bullet. Mm-hmm. Mike, Wa- Mike, he's crying about this. Mike Wallace is like nobody. Like Mike Wallace breaking Mike Wallace. Like you know, Mike Wallace never kind of like stepped out. So I was like, "Guy, nobody blames you." You Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: it's it's Lee Harvey Oswald, supposedly. No, people, Lee Harvey Oswald didn't do it. Because eleven twenty two sixty three showed us. Um, But you know, he showed like this this actual person shows vulnerability, like a real human being, Mm -hmm. like a person who's in the service of this very kind of like masculine at least in the 60s mm-hmm. job and, yeah, yeah. and like carries bravado but 10 years after the fact I think the interviews from the early 70s is breaking down crying on national television mm-hmm. and Horrigan refuses to do that and I think this movie does expertly and I think this is why I think Wolfgang Pearson's the a better director I let him give it give on
2: is that but he's just not as good as Clint Eastwood he's just not
1: what was that Clint Eastwood? I don't know, man. I, I, I keep thinking back to that Jeff Daniels Clint Eastwood movie. can't remember the name of it. That movie's just so poorly directed. Is it new? No, it's older. Um, but, like, there is such a bravado with Clint Eastwood's I character. I don't think Wolfgang Peterson's a bad director. I just think Clint Eastwood. I mean Jeff Bridges. Yeah, yeah. I meant Jeff Daniels. Um, Bloodwork from 2002. Oh,
2: Bloodwork is good. Is it? No, it's... Yeah, Bloodwork is a good movie. It's not... Sure it is. It's just a police procedural, and Michael Connelly is a pretty good writer. Angelica Houston's in that movie. Yeah, oh my god, it's all right.
1: The the movie where, from the first, where like fifteen year old Mario was like, "Draftround with Bardgar," you just saw that coming.
2: But that's I'm. Whenever I watch like, I don't. We've talked about this, I don't mind spoilers. Like, you can tell me all the spoilers, well, you can tell me what happens and everything. I don't really fucking care if I know who the villain is like the, at the very beginning But
1: when movie. that is what's carrying that... I'm just saying, I think Clint Eastwood and Wolfgang Pearson are pretty equal directors. I think Wolfgang Pearson's a better director of action. And Clint Eastwood's maybe a better action, a better director of person. Um, but in this situation, I think... Horrigan is presented as this like just there's fake bravado yeah but I don't think the script works and I think the script is pulled up by uh, Malkovich yes because it is really by the numbers. Like, there is an attempt by Wolfgang Peterson, I think, and Malkovich to kind of, like, do work, but the script isn't doing. Well, I
2: think, I mean, and it's, an, upon watching it again, and I hadn't watched it for a long time, and I'd seen this movie. I haven't watched it for, like, ten years. I've seen this movie, but I, me too. But yeah. when I watched it, I watched, it a, I watched it a lot. I'd seen this movie a lot of times. Like,
1: I've seen this movie at least, like, 25 times. I think there's a depth to the... Because ma- it has a falling death. I've always loved falling death. Yeah. The main bad guy... Every time the main bad guy falls to his death, mm-hmm. I get excited. Oh, I wonder why. I wore out. <laughs> what?
2: I wonder why. It's not directly related to a movie that's high up on your list. No. Oh. Shit, you're you haven't right. been trying to relive that moment for your whole life. I'm not kidding you? <laughs> I just, I've never thought about that. Really? No, I hope everyone. I hope everyone's <laughs> taking their notes and updating
1: their lists. Um, no, because I rewatched Charlie Davis and a Marble Man a lot, because of, there you of go. Tom Sizemore, the mm-hmm. main villain that dying. Oh, I didn't realize. I'm, I'm always
2: trying to recreate that. Um, huh. I think there's a, there's a depth. <laughs> there's a depth. I, I'm not kidding. I never actually thought about that. Well, you're welcome. There's a depth to the Malkovich character, which I don't think the script nor Clint Eastwood. Like hundred percent appreciated or understood when they went into making this movie. So, like, remember when they're chasing him over the rescues roof? down under? is another big contributor to that, though. Rescues down under—that's that's a big time movie. I like that movie. Um, yeah, those middle, those weirdo eighties Disney movies are dark. I like them. Yeah. Um, the scene where they're chasing him over the rooftops and he jumps, and you know, Frank doesn't get there, and and Mitch and Leary tries to help him, and then. You know, Frank pulls the gun on him, and and the scene I always forget, or the moment I always forget, is when Leary wraps his mouth around that gun. And I think the thing that the movie, I think the thing the movie doesn't understand, but that Malkovich understands, is that it doesn't really matter if Frank shoots him right then; he's already, like he's already killed the president in his head. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's already kind of satisfied all of the things that he needed to do. If he shot him, he would just be kind of rescuing him from like a horrible like you know, prison of a life that he's made of thinking these thoughts and feeling these feelings. Um the script is not in any way ready to explore the fact that he's been dealing with some fucked up shit for his entire adult life. You know what I mean? It's just not. Um but Malkovich is totally ready to deal with all of those things and those mo- that moment is when Malkovich and the rest of the movie kind of separated themselves from each other and it became Malkovich versus the movie more so than Frank versus Leary um, which I think is actually kind of a thrilling thing to watch it's a thing that you don't really get in a lot of movies now either where I think they would kind of dumb down that performance like that performance is really dark for yeah. that type of movie. Because it's in a sense it's a fairly paint by numbers action movie. You know what I mean? Like Frank discovers the mystery of who of who Leary now is by using old bank records and then matching that with a list of people from or a political donor list and then matching that to a seating chart. It's pretty standard stuff but we understand that Malkovich has killed a lot of people in service there. of the US government you know what yeah. i mean and that they've tried and that they tried to kill him because he was getting too dark it's 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 a dark movie that almost Wolfgang Peterson and Clint Eastwood in the script were like, we can't let this get too dark. And Malkovich was like, yep, we can. Yeah, I'm, all, I'm there. I don't, know if, I don't know if you know who I am, but I'm John Malkovich. I'm going all the way in. I made Dangerous
1: Liaisons even darker.
2: Um, which takes us to our
1: last movie, Mario. Yeah, because darkness is something that a video assistant operator of the second unit and this last film is used to. Nineteen-year-old Panos Cosmodos, who would go on to direct, uh, you know, pivotal film favorite Mandy. Oh, I love Mandy. And not not enough to put on your list. It wasn't mine. My... No, not enough. I didn't put on my list. Not enough to make him a director nominee, which he wasn't mine. That's right. That's... I nominated him for director, you, you but he was on my list. top ten
2: list. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: It out. Um, not a dick measuring contest. We both like Mandy. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are we talking about here, though, Mario? Um, w- would actually be directed by his father, George P. Cosmotos, and uncredited uh, David Jare. Written by David Jare. It is the greatest nineteen nineties western film. Tombstone.
0: Kurt Russell Val Kilmer Dana Delaney Powers Booth Michael Bean Bill Paxton Jason Priestley Sam Elliott and Charlton Heston You tell them I'm coming and hell's coming with me Justice is coming to Tombstone.
1: Tombstone is you know what it's about. It's about the the fight between the Earp Brothers and the um the the, the uh the red the red coats basically. the the red sachets, the um the cowboys uh during the late 1880s. If you want to read a okay book about it, um OK. The, the Last Gunfight by I don't remember the author. The Last Gunfight Uh
2: I can't read it. Your bookshelf's too far away.
1: By Jeff Gene, is is a solid take on the uh, real story of the OK Corral. Um directed by George Cosmanos starring Kurt Russell in the role he was born to play as Wyatt Earp mm-hmm. Sam Elliott and Bill Paxton as his yeah. brothers Powers Booth and Michael Behan as the antagonist in the Cowboys Stephen Langs and, and Thomas Hayden Church has some nice underling villains Dana Delaney has the love interest I
2: like the Dana Delaney
1: and a good old Val Kilmer,
2: this Doc Holiday. Um, I'm gonna start only because you're drinking right now. My cousin Kevin was a huge like Tombstone guy, and basically showed me this movie when I, you know, when I was an appropriate age of twelve. Um, I was an appropriate age of seven when yeah, I saw this. We're all, you know, we're always gonna be doing this. Um, <laughs> and it at the time seemed like. And we're going to talk about this with other movies, too. At the time, seemed like a very subversive movie. You know what I mean? It's pretty violent. Um, very sexual. I mean, they had, very to, had to have
1: like a sex scene cut out to avoid an NC-17 X rating.
2: But the Val Kilmer Doc Holliday performance was, even at a, like 11 or 12, I understood was one of the great film performances of all time. And he's not recognized at all. Like, through, I mean, maybe some of the Critic Circles awards, maybe. I doubt it. We could research it, but I don't really fucking care. Um, Well, this movie
1: got no recognition. Val Kilmer has pretty decent reviews. Doc Holliday
2: is an all time iconic film performance. There's nothing else like it. It is, he has disappeared 100% into the role of the drunk, you know dying Doc Holiday. And literally everything he says in the movie is maybe not plot significant, but significant to the life of whoever is watching it. I would
1: argue that I'll Be Your Huckleberry is almost as
2: iconic in the film lexicon
1: as something like I'll Be Back.
2: Oh, see, I mean, I think... I mean, And that's the thing. We can have this conversation. I think the iconic line is... Oh, you're probably so by a Thomas Hayden Church. You're probably so drunk you're seeing double. Well, I've got two guns, one for each of you. Well,
1: I think I'll be your huckle. No, well, one for each of you, yeah. But I'll be your Huckleberry. You hear all the time in pop culture.
2: I stuff. mean, it, it's just it, it is an extraordinary film performance. It is amazing. And just even thinking about it now, like I can see the pallor of his face and like the sweat on it and. Like what his mouth looks like, and like how he carries himself, you know what i mean it's like a it's like the performance is so lived in and so fully realized that you almost feel like you could do it if you needed to, you know what I mean, oh yeah, if you were going to go as Doc Holiday for Halloween, like you have everything you need to kind of just become him if he told me
1: making when this movie came out that Val Kilmer was dying of tuberculosis, I would have believed you i. I would No, actually, if you had told me when this movie came out that Val Kilmer was not dying of tuberculosis, I would not have believed you. He lives that. Like, everything is sweating. Which this movie carries really well. Everyone's sweating Yeah. in this movie. This movie's dirty. And that's what I like about it. So many Westerns have this fake dirt to them. Mm-hmm. And, like, even when people are clean, they're dirty. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a dirty movie. Well, and you know what else I think is really good is that... Everything about this.
2: Well, it's a really good juxtaposition between this and Kevin Costner's Wyatt Earp is that... Right. Is that... Kurt Russell's Wyatt Earp never seems comfortable. So it's dirty, but it's also really, like, agitated. You know what I mean? It's really angry. It's a really angry Western movie. Almost like it's a modern movie and they're talking about modern themes. But, like, that scene when they get ambushed... Oh, my... I wish I, like, could remember more details about it. When Kurt Russell is essentially yelling at, like, that dead guy... Doesn't he shoot, like, a dead guy in the mouth? Just, like, to prove a point... Oh, yeah, by
1: the way, we we decided to make this our last film literally right before recording. But doesn't he
2: do that? Like, they, 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 like, do a standoff somewhere... And he's got, like, a dead guy, like, and he's just, like, screaming at him, like, to scare somebody. He was on a totally different movie. But I just remember, even That's if it's not that movie, it might not be that, this movie, it might be a different movie. Um, or, no, what movie is that? I don't know what movie it is. Maybe it's not this movie. But I know that Kurt Russell never seems comfortable. And even with, like, his brothers are kind of having a good time, you know what I mean? They've got their, They've got their their poker going and their craps and like all, you know, the gambling and everyone's drinking and, um, you know, Dana Delaney is interested in, and and Wyatt Earp and all this other stuff, but he just, he never seems comfortable. He never see, Oh, I'm thinking of the untouchables. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's, I think the same thing stands with this is that it's, it's an, like an anxiety-producing film. In a good way. Not in like uh, uh, an art house film way, in like an action movie way. The like, thing... everybody could die at any time in this movie.
1: The thing I love about this movie is every single performance in this movie and every single person you see in this movie, me with the exception of Daniel, who I've never been the biggest fan of, mm-hmm. is so fucking committed to it. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone's giving it their all. Um, Kurt Russell famously basically kind of co-wrote this film. Mm -hmm. Like, got rid of a ton of shit from Jari's script. Kevin Jari was really supposed to direct it, gets fired early on because he doesn't know what he's really doing. Mm -hmm. So they bring in Cosmodos. But then, like, everyone just, like, is fucking... Like, Cosmodos is demanding. He has that kind of, like, Sergio Leone characteristic to him of just, like, fucking bearing down on everybody and saying, like, we need to get this done and having a vision and wanting real locations and authenticity with real clothing. So, you know, everything's itchy and uncomfortable and hot and there's scorpions everywhere. But everyone's in it. Like, Val Kilmer's in it, um, like you said. In it. But then, like, there's these moments that are so smartly done. Early on, we're kind of, Erp intimidates um, the gambler. mm mm-hmm. The Billy Bob Thornton character,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That's all ad libbed from Thornton. Like, oh Billy really? Bob Thornton I think was just that. told to be a like, just be a jerk, be a dick. And Billy Bob Thornton, as we mentioned earlier, being fucking Billy Bob Thornton mm-hmm. is awesome in that role. Stephen Lang is great as this spineless drunk idiot. You know, like like where Earp gets to tell him as he's like running off. You know, say. And tell him hell's coming. And I'm, and hell, no, tell him I'm coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And hell's coming Isn't with it? me. And you yeah. know how Stephen Lang plays yeah. such a convincing drunk? Because Stephen Lang fully admits he was drunk for most <laughs> of that. Because everyone was so fucking in it. You get Robert Mitchum, the voice of like, the, the surviving gritty voice of like, manliness. and Did he have bravado. a love and hate
2: tattoos on his knuckles? I hope so. Let's not get
1: too much into that for some reason. <laughs> um, you know, narrating right this movie, you get Sam Elliott, who is the quintessential oh, man, well. yeah, playing great. like the the surly but the mature and you know brother. And everyone's so committed to this. I mean, there's Billy Zane. To 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 Stupid bring it to wrap Billy it Zane. to to you know put a you know nice what? little bookend I mean, on this. Billy Zane is Billy Zane Zane's, and Dana Delaney are the two parts of this movie that stink. Billy Zane Dana Delany looks right great in this movie. I love. Actually, like, has, I actually I mean, I think
2: Dana Delaney works really well in this movie because I think she's really dangerous. She doesn't ever come off as I think, like, I think there's a lot of good of.
1: Dana Delaney left on that floor because Dana Delaney was maybe. I mean, going off of like especially her performances in. Something like a uh, terrible movie. I think it's Exit to Eden. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. The, with a Dan uh, William, Ackroyd movie with and Rosie Dan Ackroyd, William McNamara, yeah, yeah.
1: and Rosie O'Donnell. But also, uh, China Beach. Mm. That, that 80s, I think it was China okay. Beach, the 80s, know. early 90s TV show. Um, like she knew how to really accentuate, like, her, um, China, it was shiny beach like her extreme like sec like strong sexuality cause yeah, being a yeah, lady yeah. like for people on the know like this was she was like
2: she her, was a person back in 1993
1: and um that actress who I'm forgetting right Lori Mastro oh god from um that Tom Selleck Alan Rickman western movie um from quickly Down Under I think her and Laura Sangio oh, Como we're like the two like sex like pots of the early nineties. You came 90s. up with
2: Laura San Como from "Quickly Down Under" and "Not Pretty Woman." That's really funny.
0: <laughs> I that like- makes
2: me laugh, <laughs> like inside of myself.
0: <laughs> Outside, I'm just
2: confused that you went to "Quickly Down Under" and "Not Pretty Woman." But <laughs> well, literally, inside,
1: was, laughing. Was, I went from, uh, I, like, a pretty woman wasn't even on my mind it was just shoot me just shoot like, me too yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was like i was like quickly down under and also just shoot me and, and but pretty woman <laughs> never came into my mind just, pretty woman is a movie i've seen exactly 3 times but and every time Cole i was kind of a big it.
2: deal yeah i mean i don't like it either but
1: um but no like those two in the early 90s at least in my sphere were kind of like the huge like day hey, were like the women that are super carrying their sexual like Sharon Stone to an extent, but like she was like a mainstream actress. Dana different. Delaney yeah. and like Laura Sangio Come were like small actresses who were kind of like they were driven by like their sexuality. And like Dana Delaney does that in this movie. And I think a lot of like what she the power she kinda carries. Maybe he's left in the cutting room floor. I've never See, seen the unedited version I mean, of this I film. Think she's, I think
2: she's—I think she is powerful in this movie, and I think she's like the one actress in all of the movies that we've talked about so far that literally owns her part and owns her place in the world in the film that she's in. You know what I mean? She's not holding hands with anybody. She is dictating. Even I mean, she's a prostitute, so there's not a lot we can—or no, she's not a prostitute. She's um, she's the wife. Uh, she's the wife of somebody else. She is... She's um, like a socialite,
1: right? Yeah, she's like a traveling theater. Like, right, the yeah, theater. yeah
2: She's an actress, right? Yeah. Or she's a singer, whatever. These am getting these westerns all confused in my head. Um, she owns like her, her place in that society. You know what I mean? She's not taking a back seat to somebody. And I think that's significant in this movie where literally nobody in this movie takes a back seat to anybody. So the villains all think that they're on top Wyatt Earp and his brothers and Doc Holliday think they're on top. And it's just and you know, Dana Delaney thinks that she's because of her status that she is just as significant as anybody else's. Um, it all kind of like just comes to a head. Like the whole movie is just kind of an eruption of all of these these power struggles. Hmm. Which is really interesting. And what's awesome. great
1: is you have all these super powerful actors and actresses working off of that. Actors working off of each other, doing that.
2: Well, that's, I mean, and it to...
1: brings everything up. Like even like Jason Priestley, who's usually not good. Yeah, is Jason Priestley.
2: Yeah, Jason Priestley.
1: Oh man. You get like a small Michael Rooker performance. Uh, I you, wish... get, you get a small like you get a uh, you know he's a low Mather concurrent Thomas Hayden Church. Why
2: couldn't you have mentioned this earlier so I could have watched this before we did this podcast? <laughs> yeah.
1: Because I thought it was a 1991 movie. Ugh. It was a 1993
2: movie. Now I'm gonna have to watch it. We have to watch it, but this is Tombstone is a Tombstone is an is an all time great movie.
1: No, it is. We both talked about how this, both this movie barely
2: well, missed both of us. But our here's lists. the thing: I mean, why why did it not make your list? Because I know why it didn't make my list. Why didn't it not make your list?
1: I forgot about it.
2: You forgot about it. Okay, and it,
1: it's it's kind of the problem. The one problem with Tombstone. Is it rests in its era, era when it exists. And I and I think that's it's it's such a it's such a good movie. And it's so solid and and there's but there's still a lot of early '90s kind of like hiccups with it mm-hmm. in the sense of it is a bit overlong. It's not doing a lot of interesting stuff from a directorial standpoint, and it's not doing a lot of stuff from a mise en scene standpoint, like the cameras sat down in the middle Mm. and letting the actors do their shit. Yeah, there's a
2: little
1: bit of... It's like a a, a film stage performance. It's a little cartoony in its
2: images. You know what I mean? The colors are almost maybe too bright. They're too clear. You know what I mean? Um, For me, the reason it didn't make my list is because it literally stopped... My appreciation of Tombstone, my love of Tombstone literally stopped at Tombstone. So like it just stops here. Like I don't take anything from Tombstone, oh, no, I and agree. it applies to anything else. I mean, so like the one thing that I would put it if I was going to put it on, I would put it on because, oh my god, it's so much later than I thought it was. Um, I would put it on because like a lot of the things that like my cousin Kevin like exposed me to were very influential to me like growing up. But more important than this movie was like some of the music he kind of like Nine Inch Nails and Tool and um, Stone Temple Pilots. Played a bigger part in my life than Tombstone did. Tombstone was just an awesome movie, and then it, and then that was the end. You know what I mean? That was the end of it. It was just an, a a movie that is awesome. Nothing that I watched after this, I think, my appreciation of those movies are um, influenced at all by my appreciation of Tombstone. You know what I mean? Mm. It just, it literally is just Tombstone. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that it's awesome. That doesn't change the fact that I now want to go watch Doc Holliday do some... Or Val Kilmer as Doc Holliday say everything.
1: And I just... I love the fact that, like, some of the villains and all that, like, leave and separate. Like, compare this to Assassination of Jesse James with the Coward Robert Ford. Mm-hmm. Which is a really great... I agree like, disagree with this. But I think it's a great movie. It's a good movie, yeah. Um, but it goes on too much to show you what happens to Robert Ford.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And in something i find oh no the 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 film police are coming at me for saying tombstone is a better movie than assassination i think it's a better movie in terms of of writing and standpoint for me um is the fact that you know a a kind of pretty very present antagonist in this movie is ike clanton Mm -hmm. you know like he's he's a minor antagonist but he is kind of like a spine carrying throughout this film Mm -hmm. Um, in the same way that something like a Robert Ford would be, even though Robert Ford's like the main, a main character. Mm -hmm. Um, But just how quickly, you know, Robert Mitchum says in the, in a throwaway line, like was shot and killed two years later. Like, that's all you get. You don't have to, you don't see it. It doesn't matter. He's such a nothing that, you know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. And that, like the last line of dialogue that entire like line of dialogue wrapping everything up like maddie dying of the drug overdose and all that and like everyone moving off and doing their own life and then ending with the tom mix wept well the it's so great like the pallbearers were william s hart and tom mix yeah and it's like that nice fucking robert mitchum being i'd say one of the greatest one of the top five actors sure. of all time that brilliant pause he makes and then he just goes tom mix wept I um you just end it there,
2: I think one of the reasons that this movie is great, and I think one of the things you're kind of alluding to is that the villain in this movie is not necessarily like the villains. The villain in this movie is like the West, yeah, you know what you i mean know, like, and that's...
1: And what's and what's what's what and this isn't this might be an overreach for me
2: but uh, reach it it's a bonus episode we can say whatever this want. movie
1: is so much about like toxicity of of bravado and the toxicity of how the West kills you like. Where, you know, the last line that, you know, Doc Holliday says is, that's funny, mm-hmm. looking down at his feet because his shoes are off. Because it's so, you're so used to dying with your boots on mm-hmm. if you're getting killed. And ending this movie with Tom Mix wept. The breaking of this fucking ridiculous needing to be a man and bleeding and killing people who despise, like... Conf- like, you know, like get in your face and whatnot, and it's like saying, no, we broke from this. That is the Old West. That's the Dead West. I think that's pretty
2: powerful well, stuff And there. I think this is a reaction to, and maybe it isn't, but... It Wait, like what I'm, do you think of that point? You I think, think it's anything? a great point. Okay. I think I was going to make, I I was was gonna a, make a point to support your point. Yeah. That, I think it, that point relates directly to something like Unforgiven, where nobody wept. It just went back to being... Everything went back to being the way it was. They fixed this one problem. You know what I mean? Clint would shot a bunch of guys. And we're going to talk about unforgivable later. Um, Clint would shot a bunch of guys. Um, a bunch of people died. Some people left. Some people left town. Um, but nobody wept. It oh. just goes back to being. It just goes back to being the West.
1: And that's what's nice is like this movie has that separation of time. to well, like, there's where, a, there's you a know, like real... 1920 is when Wyatt Earp dies. I think.
2: I think I, one of the reasons I love Unforgiven is because it has that nihilism to it. You know what I mean? Where it's literally just like you can kill anybody you want, it doesn't make any difference because there's always going to be someone else in this era of the United States. There's always going to be someone 1929, else. 1929, Wyatt Earp says. There's always going to be someone else to kill. You know what I mean? There's always going to be another problem that you can only solve by hiring an assassin to kill somebody that wronged you, blah, 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 blah. Um, And this movie kind of seems to suggest that that there's an alternative to it. There's um, There's an alternative to that nihilism. You know what I mean? You can feel emotionally about losing your brothers and losing your friend and losing everything that you worked for, or losing the ideals that inspired you to kind of take
0: the
2: um embody the role that you were asked to embody in terms of like Wyatt or being like you know the sheriff or whatnot. um the there's an inherent callback to the like a quest for goodness you know what I mean which is I think largely absent in westerns where that there is actually something you can take away from here. In that in that he wept part, in like your suggestion that there's there's a break. The break is that like we can move beyond these tropes, feel something and make a better country. Yeah. We may be reading into this, but this is two hours into discussion now. And that we didn't expect to have. But it's also about and, it's also
1: about like the changing like tides of everything.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, look at it this way. But most Westerns don't the changing tides in most Westerns is that like um oh, this you know, whatever invention is gonna come in. You know what I mean? It isn't like an emotional changing tide. Well, you know what I mean? And it's and a it's, it's a cultural changing tide. And it's
1: the fact of like the cult no, but it is like the cultural changing the emotional cultural changing tide. It's it's always funny to think about the fact that like Mel Brooks was born before Wyatt Earp died. Like, mm. that's how close this shit is to us. Still. Yeah. Like, in human years. Mm. And so, like, the fact you see the difference of, like, a person being able to kind of just accept, um, to to let that veil down of, of sadness, you know, and, and weep there for that moment mm. where, like, none of that happens. Like, like, you know, Wyatt Earp kind of does that when um, his brother dies. But he Um, can't do it
2: for long because he's got to go kill some people. Yeah,
1: exactly. Instead, it goes back into rage. The movie ends with just like that breaking of the veil. Yeah. And just like it's always showing like that kind of, I don't know, it's just kind of, it it feels like it's a nice little like, Tombstone always, like like bringing to your point of like your appreciation of Tombstone begins and ends with Tombstone. I think that's what it is. Mm. It's a fucking diamond relic under the dirt that exists as a moment in time Mm. that we look back on and go like, oh, that a moment of bravado and whatnot but thank god that's in the fucking past. Mm. Yeah. That movie fucking rocks. I love
2: Tombstone. Um
1: and it gave us the first like instance of Panos Cosmatos with a camera, which That's true. is looking like it's going to be a lot of good with cuz he's doing a Lovecraft movie now. And if there's one guy who can do a Lovecraft movie, it's, him. it's going yeah. to be Panos Cosmatos.
2: Um should be both. I think we should probably cry. Right? I don't this wanna, wait, I'll say it.
1: I don't want to wait. For all lives to be
2: over. Podcast
1: Kiss ruined. me beneath the silver. <laughs> get, some, some, get some Weenus. What's that, what's that Weenus oh, song? Um,
2: teenage Dirtbag.
1: I'm just
2: a te- teen. <laughs> uh, that- I actually like that song.
1: I mean, it might make you cry about well, is like, like asking rate like for a performance. Two- I think we could probably pull together our pocket change to that get like Weenus to play. That was
2: the early 2000s James Laid song, Teenage Dirtbag. James Laid. Remember the song Laid by James? It's like Oh, yeah,
0: yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: See what happens when we start talking about
2: (laughs) We're not talking about those movies anymore, No, but when we start
1: talking about the early 90s it gets us us on a nostalgia train. And we're going to be back on a nostalgia train in a future episode. But if you want to suggest a year oh, or yeah, a time yeah. for us to talk about...
2: Communicate with us. At twitter.com slash film pivotal. Or you can email us at pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail.com or send a message to us via pivotalfilm.com. Or you can look at links to have subscribed subscribe to us. Or we'll and... comment
1: on our SoundCloud. You can even do yeah. that. I think you can put That's comments the thing. on SoundCloud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think you can. I don't know why that'd be a weird way of engaging We're social media. We're both looking
2: at each other like, "Can you? Did we just You can, you can, saying, you okay. can do that. Um,
1: I've always opened up like every time we get a heart on SoundCloud, I open up like to see like if there's a comment. Yeah, Whatever, it's a comment. Um, but you know what I like to think? Yeah. Because well, people aren't commenting, they're like, you know what, guys? They know it. You're they perfect. got it. They got it. They it's got like it down. so. I'm at the gym, and I have this guy I work out at the gym, and this uh, women several women who are pretty fit come up to him, and always suggest like a correction to his form. They never do it for me, I'm not like the thing. He that's all. What, he all knows related. what he's doing. Yeah,
2: it's all related, ladies. Um, if you like our form, um, or if you want to improve your form, go see a movie, drink a beer, or a or a
0: gin. gin and soda. Gin and
2: soda,
1: not gin and tonic, because you don't want to add those extra calories. Gin and soda and
2: uh, seven limes. <laughs> yeah, shit limes <laughs> that's a lot of limes. That's um, a
0: lot of limes.
2: And we will talk to you next week.